The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. I'm grimacing because it was such an opportunity. Possession-wise, I thought they were good, but they didn't have the cutting edge and they don't have Sam Kerr. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning and it is Republic of Ireland International Day. Evan Ferguson's going to start. We learned that yesterday in the press conference. Uh, gentlemen, are we excited? Absolutely. Yeah. Start of a new era, Jer. It's going I mean, to bring it us is. back to the big time, baby. Well, I mean, certainly it's the start of a... Obviously, tonight's not the start of the campaign. The campaign starts in earnest against France. You don't look excited at all, Johnny. Um, no, I am excited. I, I think uh, the whole friendly tonight has been illuminated with the fact that... A, Evan Ferguson is starting his first uh, Irish senior start. And B, I, I have so many question marks about the rest of the team, where they're at, some of the peripheral players, some of the players that definitely will start Monday, what sort of formation he's going to play. So also the fact that it's pretty much sold out and, um, you know, we'll be able to compare it to the atmosphere at the recent rugby games when France come on Monday. What's better, an Ireland f- rugby game or an Ireland football game? The France game is obviously the comparison as opposed to tonight. You know, where there's nothing at stake. Um, Putting a stake, but a big crowd, as uh, Stephen Kenny was keen to point out again yesterday, which I think, in fairness, he's right. It is a friendly against Latvia on a Wednesday night, five days before you know the biggest game of the campaign, and there's going to be probably up on 40,000 at it. They which, did sell the ticket as uh, the tickets, but like the tickets were perfectly reasonably priced. Like, yeah, and again, not doing a rugby comparison, but here's a rugby comparison. Like, the football tickets are actually fairly affordable, um, and much, you know, I, I think they didn't fleece the fans at all. I think the tickets were like. Maybe 110 for the two, which isn't bad. Like, you're getting France at home. Tonight will actually be a good game. We don't get that many games at home either. If you got in early, I think the tickets yeah. were probably very reasonably priced. I I am always a little bit uncomfortable with the packaging. I fully understand mm. the economics behind us. But there's a huge Irish football fan base in Donegal and Mayo and Galway and Kerry. And you're saying, if you want to go to that France game, get yourself up to Dublin five days beforehand as well, or just buy the tickets, which I'd imagine probably few people have done. Bought the tickets bought the two and tickets just and, not going to yeah. go tonight. Yeah, well, you'd hope that they're passing them on to somebody or they're selling them on. Go to Toutless or whatever and just flog it for like uh, the the, cash, the price that you get. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it is the second best slash best team in the world with the best player in the world coming to play the first competitive game of a, a new campaign. Um, I think Gavin Cummins get a fixture figure of 65 quid was the um, the earliest price. And I, we've had people complaining to us, um, writing into us about the, the cost of the tickets. And yeah, at the last minute, the tickets are really expensive, but the only tickets that are left are premium, right? Yeah, I think it's that the ad probably hasn't changed. So the ad has been everywhere for the last three months for this bundle package. Whereas now when you click on it, the only tickets left are very expensive, but they're premium level tickets as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. The other thing is that if you bought the season ticket, it's something like 450 quid for two adults and two kids for every home game. Mm. So that's the thing to do is to buy the season ticket a year in advance. And you've got a plan a year in advance. Like, and the FAI obviously are a fairly easy thing to kick because everybody's been kicking them basically the entire time that they've existed. Uh, but it looks like they're going to fill the stadium twice and it looks like they're turning a corner culturally and it looks like they've taken some baby steps along the way. All they need now... Is Evan, Evan Ferguson. Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. You're always going to sell out a home game against France and they've got the Netherlands in the group. It's, it's actually the best season in a long time to get your season ticket. Um, and the fact that Evan They've Ferguson sold out now, obviously. Yeah. 
the absolute perfect opportunity. And France, yes, they finished runners-up in the World Cup, but I think they're the most devastating team to play against. Argentina probably aren't going to beat you 5-0 if they're on a good night. You know, I think Ireland, you could set up against them and hold them. I think if France come all guns blazing and they're on it and Antoine Griezmann gets his birthday cake last night and he thinks actually all is forgiven. Thank you, Didier. To explain that, sorry, they, 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 it was a, a yeah, yeah. They, 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 fixed, yeah, yeah, they fixed the IA situation? They, they did. So obviously uh, all the rumours coming out of the French squad swirling that Antoine Griezmann is thinking about retiring from international After football. After this break, yeah. He is so upset about the fact that Kylian Mbappe was made captain after Hugo Luis's retirement. But uh, they had a, their squad meal last night. Uh, everybody around one giant table, everybody in the squad, and uh, out was rolled as big a birthday cake as I've ever seen uh, for 32-year-old Antoine Griezmann. And he looked very happy and he made a little speech. He had his pink hair, all that. Okay. He was. He looked He looked happier with life. Matt Doherty says he's a good fella. Says uh, a few weeks after he arrived at Atletico, there was a barbecue in his gaff. He looked after everybody. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is, is, here's a Rolex <laughs> But you. you go to somebody's barbecue Not at their gaff and you don't get looked after. Well, They're the worst barbecues. But what does it mean? Like, I mean, why, why, he, he said, don't, don't bring anything in, but he actually meant it? Uh, well, I was thinking more, here's a present for you, and a present okay. for you, you know. And it's like, or is it, is it just there was an extra portion of wings? The already starting captain is quite interesting as well, because I, I don't know where he's at, to be honest, sir. I mean, and he's one of those players where he hasn't played since he's made the move. Um, I think there are question marks, and Nathan and I were talking about this pre-show. I don't know who plays right wing back on... Um, Monday, I don't know, um, does he want to play Doherty left wing back? Because there are a lot of quandaries there. I thought, um, you know, Callum O'Dowd seems to be coming into his um, affection now. And, you know, even our centre-back situation doesn't look straightforward. And apart from Josh Cullen, um, the midfield situation, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what system he's going to play. How does he have Evan Ferguson starting, but who does he play beside him? Um, well, look, there's two different things it's what he does tonight and it's yeah. what he does on Monday and how much they're actually related let's speculate on that in just one minute here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock for you uh, the power rankings Tommy Rooney's patented Gaelic football inherited of course from Owen Sheehan uh, Keen Tracy's going to give us his Six Nations team in the tournament at 25 minutes past 8 John Duggan's going to join us at 8.50 and McNulty's going to talk to us about his new book uh, which has loads of really interesting rugby nuggets in it um, and some good GA stuff to commit to lead and then Gavin Cooney from last night the Indo have picked a team and they've picked a 3-5-2 with Collins, Egan and O'Shea we think Egan won't start though right? Uh, just listening to Stephen Kenny in the press conference he was asked about you know linking the two games together and the usual challenge he has of players who played lots of games and players who played no games and mentioned some of the players at the top half of the championship who they need to manage their load so maybe he goes for the first 45 minutes with as close to France but John Egan has played a huge amount of games uh, doesn't really need to see him knows what he's about Darrow Shea be similar but it's obviously quite a bit younger um, Egan had a very stressful game you would imagine at the week I know it was uh, in the FA Cup but it was a huge game for Sheffield United so maybe he feels Egan this is one he could sit out um, bring Oma Bamadeli in yeah and big fan of, of Andrew Oma Bamadeli uh, so sorry he's got a back three of Collins Egan and O'Shea and then his five are obviously the wing-backs are O'Dowd and Doherty. We know Doherty's going to start because he's captain. It's Knight, Cullen and Malumbi are his three in midfield. And then he's gone for Obafemi and Ferguson. I think this is Aidan Fitzmaurice's team. In the I'd, I'd love to see Obafemi and Ferguson up front together. Um, I, I think it has massive potential and tonight is seemingly the game to go with this. It might be... Um, it's hard to see those two starting against France because it's probably a bit too aggressive. Out of possession... I, I don't know how well that would work, um, but I think the three five two. I don't think that's probably far off the team tonight. I think the two wing backs will be O'Dowd and Doherty, um, but I would love to see 
like Ferguson is coming in after the weekend that he had, and I know you know you're playing against Grimsby, but just the I, I I was kind of on when I saw the games on TV. I was like on Ferguson watch, and it was like this is cool. You can just sit and watch Evan Ferguson playing and. And, and watched his movement when um, he's playing against the mass defence as Grimsby were and he was able to just find little pockets and got two amazing goals and with Obafemi like Obafemi's he's obviously a very good goal scorer and he's a lot of pace but he's a good player to link up as well with the likes of Ferguson and I would like to see that tonight but I'm far from sure what he'll start I don't know what you think Nate. No I don't think Obafemi will start against France unless something happens tonight where he is absolutely outstanding like he has shown actually this season he's very good off the bench yeah. and if you can mm. keep it tight with 15 minutes to go throw him on uh, set pieces nick a goal scrappy in there do something uh, yeah I think like Bazunu probably starting goal tonight though there must be a temptation to give Kelleher some minutes just in case something was to happen Bazunu over the next four or five days give Bazunu the start bring Keller on at half time yeah exactly um, what's Bazunu's confidence like at the moment well, things have turned a little bit, a little bit uh, for Southampton. They've got a new manager. Did he not play really well against Man United? He did. It was brilliant against yeah. Manchester United. They've started to keep a few more clean sheets. It is hard to know because on the one hand, you look at it's been a nightmare season for Southampton. He's made quite a few mistakes. But he's by far and away the youngest goalkeeper playing in the Premier League. Mm. I imagine Elam Melia is probably the only one anyway within the same ballpark. Like, and he's playing every single week. So they've put that trust in him. Yeah. So, you know, coming into this occasion now, like, actually is fine from it's not as if France is going to be a massive step up to the strikers he's facing every single week yeah he's played against Erling Haaland so, you know, he's, yeah he's, now he's conceded goals against all these strikers yeah. <laughs> so there is uh, that concern he could play both he could give them a half each night it wouldn't be a bad yeah. thing at all like. no that's the perfect scenario like and I think uh, I think when you look at building towards Monday there are as Johnny said probably three maybe four places up for grabs the two wing back positions the spot alongside Ferguson and maybe one in midfield but I kind of think midfield like, I would be surprised right. if he didn't go with the back three well a very different team from uh, Collins Egan O'Shea very different team from John Fallon in the in the paper um, his back three today for this game right for the Lafia game is O'Shea Collins and Omar Mamadeli which I think is, is potentially more likely given your point about Egan right and the, and the soundings in the press conference O'Dowd at left wing back which I think he's has he hinted at that as well? Because that seems to be fairly consistent. I, I, I managed to catch 70 minutes of a, a game recently where they were playing. I thought he looked good. Mm. You know, looked fully fit and physical and very aggressive. And um, it was against Blackburn. We, well, the, the left wing backs. We just we don't we terrible don't, game of football. We don't have any like we don't have any really solid alternative. Um, so you could make a case for Doherty left wing back. And Seamus Coleman, right wing back. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not really not sure that's going to happen though. Like it's it's not balanced to be playing um, Doherty left wing back, particularly when he's not even playing right wing back for his club at the moment. Well, Doherty played uh, on the left away at Portugal, and it worked really well. What goes against it is Coleman's last appearance on the right of what we say is a, a midfield, but it'll be far more defensive, obviously, against France, was the game against Armenia, where they were mm. beaten. And I think everyone left that game going, Seamus Coleman will never play in that position again. But Coleman, and I've, I've watched a lot of Everton over the last month, and I've commentated on a lot of Everton. He is playing as well as he has played in the last fight. He's certainly playing as well as he's ever played at club level since Stephen Kenny took charge. Mm. And the one thing that really stands out when you watch Coleman is we know he's very strong defensively and he can do all the last-ditch stuff. I've never seen him get into the opposition box as much. I know he's, as he yeah. has been under Sean Dyche. Like we all have this opinion of Dyche. He's obviously playing three. You know, the, oh Sean Dyche four four two doesn't let the wing backs go forward. Rock solid. Like Coleman, he got the goal against Leeds, but we did a game against Forest. He must have had more touches in the opposition penalty area in that than he's had in any Premier League game. He was constantly up there. So there's an energy. There now, is. 
it's a weird one against France because Mbappe is going to be on that left-hand side. So like, you want to be strong defensively, but actually that's also your one opportunity. So that's why I think maybe Ogbené will play, mm. play out there and try and expose the gaps that are left by... So Ogbené's playing as an auxiliary striker slash right wing slash right wing back defensively. Yeah. And, and like that... Like my, my team right now would be... Can I finish this Go on, you finish his team for tonight. In the middle We're of the talking team about there. two different John teams. John Fallon's yeah. team, I think. This is Fallon's team, John. which I think is... Uh, so it's Brown, Hendrick and Ogbené playing as, as three in midfield and he's got Ferguson and Obafemi up front, which is a super attacking team and I'd really like Brown, to see this. Hendrick, Benny, yeah. uh, Brown, Hendrick and Ogbené. I do think Knight is going to play in the game I think Malumbi's going to play in the game against France so I don't know do you give everybody do you start with this and then you like I, I think that's a rest Josh Cullen and he doesn't have a yeah. like for like replacement for Josh Cullen who was it was Brown Hendrick and Ogbené and he does so like maybe he plays Hendrick uh, slightly deeper in a role that he says he doesn't particularly like him in as a number six just to get him just for tonight and for game time players on the pitch I think the, the back three um Omobama Deli and O'Shea and Collins I think that that looks fairly likely to me in the sense of it makes complete sense you're given two lads who've, who probably do need a bit of game time um, a start and with the player beside them who's actually been playing week to week and I, I, I mean that was I love that back three going forward for Ireland I think it has so much going for it um, and what's interesting as well is what will we be like in possession tonight like we can be very slow to move the ball against teams that albeit like Kenny says Latvia don't aren't going to be uber defensive we do need to kind of pass the ball at pace and you can imagine as well just uh, speaking of the Lansdowne Road crowd you can imagine the noise when Evan Ferguson starts getting into positions or gets his first chance and yeah it is, is, is exciting like I, I was I was asked like what, my girlfriend goes what's this Evan Ferguson like and I was like well an hour later since, since Robbie Keane we haven't really had anything remotely approaching an exciting striker really so it's a long time here we've been clutching at straws and, and also I was saying Robbie Keane physically compared to this lad like there's no comparison and as, as Robbie was, himself said it to John Duggan he was like well he's, he's also, you know similar to me. Well, a bit bigger than me bit it's kind bigger. of unfair how big he is and one other th- thing which we have not spoken about at any point since uh, John Duggan did that interview at Robbie Keane at Chattenham uh, I'm going to back the real whacker because as everybody knows that was my nickname with the Ireland team I was like does everybody know that? Never heard that. Before. No, I'd never I heard when know he that. Said that. I was like, the Wacker? I was like, what? Robbie, Robbie Wacker Keane. I did not, I'd never heard this. I have yet to verify with uh, Kev that, that everybody just called him Wacker. Mm. I did not know that at all. That was breaking news. We buried the lead. It's a week later, it finally, finally dawned on me. Are there other secret names? It's a good piece, Kev, Saturday, I thought, about like international breaks and basically rushing over on Saturday night to have the pints in Dublin. I missed it. Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. I really wrote grown into that the pints in. Uh, Dublin don't happen quite as regularly for these young guys. No, no. Although he tried to imply at the end that there was kind of a nexus between him and the young lads going over now. Can't wait to get on that flight on the Saturday night, but I don't think it's the same rules apply anymore. I think they're very excited about it, but hopefully not for the pints. Uh, and look, if they're having a few pints, I've, I've definitely matured on the whole year. You can have a few pints if you want. Well, apparently Evan Ferguson's problem uh, when he wants to, if he, if he I, I don't know if he, uh, like most young players, probably doesn't even go for pints. His biggest problem is that all his mates are still in school. Right. So mm. can't go out on a Sunday night when he rocks into Dublin. Yeah, I, I doubt he's a pints man, to be honest. I think, I think the the Leaving Cert and the uh, post-junior Cert kids are actually going out a bit more Nathan than they did in, in our days oh really I think they are We're I think that there's a, a more easy easy attitude towards this thing now Laser Snake says what would constitute a success for Kenny this campaign well this is I think the most difficult question because before the draw was made it was very simple whether you were pro-Kenny anti-Kenny whatever your feelings were on it that they had to qualify 
one way or another. But now when you look at it, like nobody's expecting them to finish above France and the Netherlands. I think they'll need a result. I think they'll need a moment at some stage during the campaign. I don't think they can afford to get battered on Monday night. I think, you know, he's still on the back foot with an awful lot of people um, with the way last year ended and the slip up at the end against Armenia. Um, but I think nights like tonight are also important because actually that's been the biggest disappointment are the home games where, as you said, you know, we've Stephen Kenny's talking about you know dom- dominating possession against these sort of teams like Latvia coming, playing good, strong, attacking football. And too often in those games, like that match against Armenia, you're right, like it was so slow at times. It could have been anybody, any Ireland manager watching that match against Armenia, yeah. that they need to be front foot, possession football, take the game at home to Latvia, get it forward quickly to Evan Ferguson, get a few goals, and then be able to see it out. Well, that's why, that's why it feels like he kind of has to pick. So uh, we, I can't even remember who was having this conversation with um, about, like, why would you pick the same team for the France game as you would against the Latvia game? You need a completely different style to beat uh, Latvia than you do France. But if you're the manager and you want to hone things and you've... Like training is training, but matches are matches. And all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to put the full team at some stage for 15, 20, 25 minutes to put the full team out and go, this is going to be the team, lads, right? Show me what you've got. Uh, I don't know. I I know they're contractually obliged, obviously, to have these friendlies, but like this is not a bad thing. Do you really want to go into that France game cold with, you know, they, they've been off for some time? Um, the, the narrative has also changed since we last saw this Irish team with some of the players. Like we were, I mean, probably going a little bit over the top about Collins after the Ukraine games like, and I certainly thought this was the performance of a player that's going to be one of our best defenders if not one of our best players that we have and he's had like a, a baptism of fire obviously in the Premier League but like we should, one thing I would say Nathan, is we should not be afraid of thinking we can finish above one of those teams in this group like France say if France beat Netherlands in both their games the Netherlands have, have serious question marks around their goalkeeper from what I can tell I didn't think they were amazing uh, in the World Cup I thought they're, they're, they're a good side they're not an incredible ah, they're, they're, side they're, they're, we have Evan Ferguson now if Evan Ferguson starts taking off during this campaign if, if he does start taking off we have a striker that we just haven't had I know. if he starts taking off I know. we still have some really good defenders so okay. if we could manage to two giant diffs are world super power needs to drop three levels and ours is you know kind of minnow needs a, a superstar we, we, we should have striker. we should we should probably have beaten Portugal in Portugal really and that was without Evan Ferguson without, we had Connolly that night who was miles off form we should have beaten Portugal away we should well we, we should definitely the confidence be, comes from those the, Ireland's best performances under Stephen Kenny have been in the teams. better teams we, yeah. we, sh- we should be capable of beating the Netherlands in one of those games in my view if we can if we can keep a clean sheet we'll probably win the game let's not be like saying oh we can't finish in the top two because no, we're not going to lose it yeah, yeah, we're not. I do believe there's this maybe the better option potential. is that the Dutch beat the French on Friday night. Uh, they get a couple of injuries. They're in it's absolute off. disarray. Yeah. You know, when you beat France and they struggle to get it back together, but you know, I think getting a result over in Greece is going to be crucial. Yeah. They need some momentum. That's been the biggest yeah. problem for Stephen Kenny. Every time there's been a bright new dawn and a res- you know away in Portugal, young players come in. He gives them their start, and then they come back to Dublin and it falls a bit flat. And they let in goals. Well, and several they of that lose a game they shouldn't lose. Several of that team didn't kick on, you know, and they have found themselves uh, out of form or out of the team at at club level. Well, Eda Omar Bamadele, I don't think he'd have been, even been in a squad for the last eighteen months because of injury. Never mind starting yeah. a game. So, like that, we again when you talk about getting carried away, like we staked so much on the two of them being mm. a part of that set, that team for the and next they were so 10 impressive. Uh, so quirky nineteen eighty says, let's go into full hype mode and make Ferguson captain. I mean, I, I can see how if if this campaign doesn't work out for Kenny, the next manager will come in and go, you're my captain. 
and away we go. Uh, his, 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 his mentality is incredible. I do remember Keith Long, one of the things, I think it was Keith Long who said it, and I, I, I stand corrected if it weren't, but he was like, if, if Evan Ferguson could effectively train all day, every day, or play football all day, every day, he absolutely would. And he's, he just seems to be bulletproof in that regard. And what I liked about him on so Sunday... So you're saying he's a, a combination of Haaland and Wayne Rooney on the ball. I don't and, like those kind of... I don't like uh, any comparisons. Cristiano Ronaldo off like, the field. Any Haaland comparisons to me are just absolutely bonkers, like in the sense of putting pressure on the player. But just on Sunday, watching, he just he kept doing everything right. Kept He was so patient and the control for that goal. Like, honestly, even against Grimsby, that's an amazing, amazing goal. He then has a goal disallowed that wasn't his fault, so he could have had a hat-trick. Both finishes were great. It, it, yeah, oh, the, the second the, one as well, the touch to make the space. Yeah, the, the second one, you're one. like, he's just going to score this. And you do feel in front of goal, Ferguson will score if he gets a chance tonight. Well, I, I, I was probably like you, not at, well, at the weekend against Grimsby, and that you just watch all the Brighton games now and you're watching every single movement, but I was over at the game where he got injured against Liverpool and found myself doing the exact same thing. I couldn't tell you anything that happened in the game except for Evan Ferguson. But what I thought was really impressive was he found himself at times a little bit out of it. But he... Middle-aged man perving over a oh, teenage boy. <laughs> like, it was a... And I was... That was put it that he'd, give, he'd give the ball away and I'd be like, oh, well, this, yeah. this isn't a good sign. This is, just like, but this isn't a good sign. Like, he can't, he can't be giving the ball away at this level and two seconds later he gets it back. Yeah. It'd come to a vastly more experienced player and they'd give it away. Like, these things happen. It yeah. just, but he dropped back constantly into midfield just to start getting himself involved, just to get a few touches. Mm. And that was the bit, actually, that when Liverpool were on top, he was still involved in the game that you kind of look at the France match and go, he's not just going to stay up there and do nothing and not get a touch of the ball. That if he needs to drop in to the midfield, play a bit deeper, hold on to the ball, He'll that he balls. has that. Yeah. And I think we should get excited. Like, maybe he doesn't end up being Erling Haaland. But he's unquestionably the best it, it, talent we have had here's one in the generation. Who, who's so a better player? To li- who's a better player outside the box to link up with other players at the moment, Ferguson or Haaland? Ah, uh, uh, Haaland. You, I, you don't like the comparison, but then you're just asking. No, I, <laughs> no, no, sorry, he's actually better than Haaland. I don't like no, the comparison. It doesn't go far enough. But I think Haaland is very, very good. Haaland's not asked to do that. I think there's been times this season when City have been at their best, and he's on it that he has no problem dropping deep, holding off players, bringing people into it. Yeah. But that's clearly not what Some more comments. to do. We should really move to a four for tonight. We're desperate at breaking teams down with the 3-5-2, says Brian. There was- I, 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 don't, I generally don't like three at the back and I think Ireland would be better suited. Now, they, they played three at the back from in my view because Kenny, I don't remember him ever playing this in the League of Ireland, never play, played three at the back. They no, played three at the back I remember because you saying this is not going to happen. I, like, I, couldn't, I, I honestly I couldn't see it. Obviously then... We, we, we have a coach come, coming in who recommends it. Also, the fact that we just looked like it suited our players better at the moment. Whether it does now or not, I don't know. I mean, you could, well, you could arguably play four at the back right and have, well, say, Darrell O'Shea right back. Um, for example, you could play, so take away the wing back situation because I don't know what sort of form Doherty's in at the moment and we don't have a natural left wing back that's proven at this level either. So, and I generally don't like, maybe against It good does leave us better. light. James McLean not playing good field. football at left wing back. I think McLean... He's for, again, for a team that's bottom of the championship though. Yeah, like. But he's having a lot of, like, he's statistically he's definitely having a very good season and with his experience against France, to start him? Quite possibly, like I wouldn't be surprised if it was Odouda of any of the three, Doherty, Odouda, or McLean. I wouldn't be surprised mm. to see any of them there. It does definitely leave us a little bit short in midfield. Like Malumbi is energetic, uh, a traditional oh, Irish good. midfielder, um, gets himself about, can be a little bit reckless, doesn't seem to have curbed that massively, uh, but he's not going to hold on to possession for you. Like it's all a Josh Cullen to hold on to the ball. Like everything seems to come down to him. Mm. So. 
Like, could you throw a wild card? Could you throw a wild card in? Well, let me throw the wild card in here. This is uh, Gavin Comiskey's probable team. So Bazzino and Gold, and then you got a back five uh, with Darty and O'Dowd as the wing backs, Owobamadeli, Collins, and O'Shea as the trio at centre back for tonight for the Lafayette game. And then your midfield is Cullen, Smallbone, and Knight. That's a totally different midfield trio from anybody else. Pretty interesting to see what it's like. I know. I definitely see Smallbone playing tonight at some stage. I think he's going to. Um, I think he's a really interesting player going forward. I thought he and Ferguson actually for the twenty ones, the little cameos that they had, they really looked like they had a bit of an understanding. Um, I think he'll definitely play it. I wouldn't be amazed if he started. Like that would be fairly wild card. But I think well, Malumbi's playing a lot of football as well, so he might think yeah. again with his energy. I, th- I know he talked about this team recently. And tonight, enough. you know, somebody like Sm- Smallbone and his skill set I think they were a little bit um, they, they figured that it was going to take him a bit of time to acclimatise to life with the senior team and that's why we haven't seen him much of him so far if, um, if, if, if you did play say if you played a 5-4-1 slash um, yeah, say, say if you want to call it a 5-4-1 but Doherty and Odauda are the two wing backs that does give you some sort of freedom to have four sort of centre midfielders one or two players off um, Ferguson where we don't have natural wingers but we have two players that are quite good on, on, on each wing without is effectively a winger and then you will have an overload in midfield at times that'll be interesting that we actually do have numbers in midfield I find with sort of the three five two that we're overrunning midfield a lot it's, it's when we lose the ball and I found this a lot during Kenny's reign we lose the ball against good teams we're so open straight away and I think if you play sort of a five four one, which is maintaining the three at the back that would offset that to a degree that's why tonight is fascinating. It's it, like, and I, 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 can you? And this is the mad thing, Nate. To compare this to like the almost lethargy you had going to Ireland games back in the day, where like you had to get yourself up and go along to these crappy friendlies. Tonight, I'm really excited by this game. My brother's coming up from Galway. Like, I bought tickets for the two games. He's like, I want to go to both games. Um, another guy uh, I asked to bring the games like I really want to see Evan Ferguson make his debut. And there's a really good atmosphere at these games. There really is. Yeah, like I always feel when we sit here at the day of the first match that. You can predict, like, this day next week, Jer, you'll be having a full Crisis. breakdown on... <laughs> you'll have the head of St. Kevin's boys in one round. We're not developing players the way we once did. <laughs> we, and that entire conversation will be happening. But there has been such a revisionism of how things were before. And I remember at the Armenia game, watching back the last time Ireland played Armenia in 2011 under Trap, like, Ireland had a qua- far greater quality of player. I think it was about 25,000 at it. There mm. was no atmosphere. Ireland scraped a 2-1 victory. There's this sense that before everything... Like, there is a definite... It will be. It will be when Kenny eventually goes. Be interesting to see if that interest level is maintained. I don't. I don't think people have forgotten how bad the friendly. I think a lot of people have football with Trap and O'Neill. I think a lot of people stop going, and the the uh, attendance figures. Like we qualified for those tournaments, and we did well with O'Neill at that tournament, and that was a great moment for the team. But we, it turns out, we weren't building something sustainable at senior international level at that point. And it does feel like the players coming through are of a significantly higher standard and there are more of them coming through and they're more equipped to, to play modern football at the moment, which clearly is an indication of the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years of development work have been good, if not great, right? I'm not saying that there aren't problems. There clearly are. And we, we talk about them with Vinny regularly here. You know, he makes the point that if, if he had a kid who was going to make it, he'd move to England at this stage. Like, um, and that, that can't be a long-term solution for us. Uh, so, I, like, but I, I don't think people have forgotten how bad the football was. I, I don't think people have forgotten that 
we were sending up the centre backs to try and equalise for us in the last few minutes. And sure, that happened a bit under Kenny at it the has. start. It has, yeah. yeah but, but, Michelle Duffy. Yeah, but, but to, to be I, fair, I, I, I think the jury's still out on a lot of that. That listen, it was the style of football under Trapattoni and maybe at times under O'Neill. But yes, there's good quality young players coming through. But like, is Jason Malumbi a better player than Glenn Whelan? I'm not quite sure he is. Is he a better player than Keith Andrews? I don't know. Like a lot of these guys are still at championship level. We're hoping that they I'm, can I'm, make. Sorry, the step I'm actually up. talking about the, the younger players even still. Like for the first time in a long time, we feel like there's a trend. Sure, of, look at the 17s, the 19s, the 21s. Like look at the difference of the 21s since Kenny took over and the lads who have come in since. The 21s was almost like a means to get lads capped and get them into the system, and it was a joke before Kenny came in. It really oh, was. I remember commentating on a game down Waterford where I think um, the great Declan Rice was. Uh, playing in the middle of midfield and it was basically a load of English lads that they were trying to keep involved and keep interested and you look like say like the under 15 team what did they win 6-0 last night mm. like against Latvia if you look all the way up now and whatever happens with Stephen Kenny in this reign and I think we're far too like um, hung up about Stephen Kenny the the progress that the underage teams are main, uh, making and the style of football I I, I don't think um, Irish football fans and their sort of you know the, the their knowledge of the game their appreciation of football should be underestimated people were really pissed off in general with the way we were playing and I, I had totally lost interest compared to my interest in the old team because I hated watching Ireland play and I was embarrassed to be associated if you if you were an Irish football fan Irish football is now pigeonholed across the world and across Europe as a horrible style of football and we're slowly moving away from that Quick comments I think most Premier League teams are happy to have Coleman have the ball they know there's a slim chance of anything coming from it that they use the space he leaves for the counter says Quirky 1980 I don't think watching him the last while it's been teams letting him have the ball I think it's his availability in the final third High for energy, his teammates yeah. that he's, he's bringing that Killian Murphy says Oma Bamadeli right wing back for France Doherty on the left Egan Collins and O'Shea in the centre could Andrew I, I, I wouldn't he's, he's plenty quick enough to do it um, but again has he ever played there I don't know I mean are one of those centre backs uh, an actual midfielder in waiting the new Paul McGrath who steps forward like could Nathan Collins be a, a centre midfielder Darrow, for I us? thought Darrow Shea could absolutely play centre midfield and I, I don't think you shouldn't um, say oh this lad is centre back for, for sure so a lot of these players would be more than capable of playing and they're also coached to be able to pass the ball yeah uh, Frank says 130 quid for the rugby is shocking more so if you live outside Dublin with the extra cost involved a uh, couple more Ferguson's in the FA won't be long raising their ticket prices is Danny Mac one who's uh, obviously feeling the cynicism instead of the love today Danny, come on Danny feel the love come on you can do it uh, uh, Budge says Netherlands are way better than those guys can't just expect to beat them football's definitely not our game unfortunately France and Netherlands could do a number on us well, I don't think it's uh, football isn't our game but I think isn't football it? isn't our game what we, when we're talking about getting something like again it's somehow the French end up in complete disarray by the time they get here on Monday for us to get something out of it we kind of need but a we do, yeah. we do like, look at the, we could have a, a Germany Shane Long moment and that it's kickstart something and they move on from there and they go and win in Greece I think, I think you're like the, they could also beat us 3-0 and we could play as well as we can and that would be that, that's uh, why I say when, we, when you're sitting here teams. next Tuesday Wednesday there's different ways of of, did did of the Champions League experience of Antoine Griezmann and the World Cup winning squad of France, you know, and yeah. then the World Cup beating, uh, beating in the final We're in crisis mode. We might have to play Camavinga left back. Oh, one of the best <laughs> young midfielders in the world who just, you know, destroyed Liverpool every week. It's fine. Let's stick him in at left back. I've forgotten about Camavinga. Uh, aren't we so lucky as a small country to be able to celebrate Ferguson breaking through the Rugby World Cup, Katie's homecoming, GA, and so much more? What a year ahead of us, says Quirky1980, who is feeling the love this morning. Uh, right. Isn't it weird how proud you are 
of young Irish players. Like, I'm watching mm. Evan Ferguson on the Sunday and like you'd swear he was my own son. I'm like, oh, what a guy. Just and then he does his interview and he speaks well, you're like that. Ah, and and your your someone. son's standing there with the ball and Daddy, come out and play football. Like, no, I have to watch Ferguson. No, no, I'm not doing it. No, no, just <laughs> like this guy. Why can't you? Why can't you do this? No, he's going back at me, he goes, You know he's so good because his dad was a really good footballer and what have you offered me? What have you offered me? I was just waiting for Erling Haaland to be asked, like, how do you compare to Evan Ferguson? The um, I mean, look, you know, Erling, Erling, uh, I see Erling has a little groin injury and uh, I saw unavailable that, yeah. for Norway. Fatherhood uh. <laughs> <laughs> Inc. <laughs> other, other, other groin injuries are available. <laughs> Big ones. The minute past eight. If you want to get in touch this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. And McNulty's going to join us in studio to talk about his book a little bit later on. We've got Keen Tracy talking about the uh, best team of the Six Nations. He's going to pick a team of the Six Nations. We were obviously the best team of the Six Nations. Although France, feel, France are feeling it. That was good information from... Matt Williams about how they didn't taper off their training for the early stages of the tournament and they were uh, stressing the team on purpose. That's a, an interesting little wrinkle to the whole thing. I was like, oh, okay, that makes a bit of sense. You guys need to know what losing feels like. Yeah. And then they've got every game at home for the rest of it. Because Scotland didn't vote for us to host the World Cup. Brought that up a few times now. <laughs> Well, it would explain. You're going to be like Frano that this is that when the players are going on the pitch over Murrayfield, this was part of their thought process. Well, it would explain Andy Dunn's. He's like, oh yeah, because oh, 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 we keep forgetting, like ah, the Scots. We always beat them. Why would we care about them? Because they like they stabbed us in the front, <laughs> they stabbed us in the back. We were like, you know, it was slashed. Anyway, uh, we we got sidetracked there. Uh, what would tickets be like for a World Cup in Dublin, in rugby? What would tickets be like? They would be 250 quid. Tickets for the Rugby World Cup are set by the Rugby World Cup mm. uh, organisation who are like a, a money hoover. But I, I'm not going to even speculate, but I'd imagine you're looking 100 quid for the cheapest ticket. For the Rugby World Cup? Yeah. Oh, geez, I don't think so. I think it's more than that. Wow. Mm. I, I haven't... I, I think you'd be lucky to get one for 80 quid, I'd say. The Rugby World Cup is just a, a gouge, 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 gouge. Give us the money. Give us all that money. Because so many of the teams don't make any money, like the the All Blacks and uh, Rugby Australia. Like the Lions keep them afloat, and then the World Cup gives them extra. And that's um, anyway. Uh, right, we have uh, Tommy Rooney standing by, who's going to do this week's episode of the Football Power Rankings. Um, just one quick mention: Katie McCabe last night picked a midfield, but moves to left back whenever Bayern make their subs. Uh, has a goal line clearance, keeps Arsenal in. The tie, even though they were, um, I think, pretty good. The uh, Arsenal had 25 shots. They're 1-0 down after the game against Bayern in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. So it's evenly poised for the return um, in the second leg. And uh, Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League semi-final since 2013. After the break, Tommy Rooney's latest football power rankings. Some of these critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly. And like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football at the odd time. And when I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismiss you like, you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. No mushrooms today, Tommy Rooney. Good morning to you. Oh, you're on mute. Not today, Jer. Good go. morning. How are you? Hi, Very Johnny. Well. Very well. Uh, right, thanks. No, no controversies this week. Although we, we should, um, uh, RTE have had to fire back at the uh, the loud lads, saying that there's no conspiracy against them. 
and that there was just a, a just an administrative issue that prevented them from being there for the historic uh, loud surge. RT last night That's denied a- claims their lack of coverage of high flying louds Division Two campaign is related to a long running dispute with Mickey Hart. Uh, Gavin Devlin, Hart's right-hand man in Loud, believes the issue is down to an historic disagreement with Hart and urges RTE to see it through a Loud lens. He understands why leading figures in the county are annoyed that Loud are the only side in Division 2 not to have received any RTE television coverage this spring. Loud go to Croke Park on Sunday to face Dublin. Obviously, they'll get that one, you know. So, uh, let's get to because Loud, I think, are one of the big risers this week, right? They're one of the big risers, and... For the people allowed, they can be happy to know that Paddy Andrews took a stand for them this week. He's sick of not having any loud footage to go off, so he is uh, going to Crow Park. Oh, hi, Bailey. What does Bailey think of... Uh... This is Bailey's time for a walk in the morning, Jer, so I might be in a little bit of bother on here this morning. I think just Bailey, actually. Bailey's just over two, Johnny. So he's, like, uh, she or she? It's a he. He's got the loveliest eyelashes in the world as well they're about two foot long I'm looking so. forward to when he's like getting on a bit and you can call him old Bailey you know hey. oh, I can't wait for that as well was that on purpose is yeah. there like a, a legal thing <laughs> Rumpole there's a reference <laughs> right uh, I, got, I got it don't okay. be saying I didn't get that I got that I'm just trying to get somebody to get the dog it wasn't so uh, much okay. it wasn't so much you as our, as our audience oh. are all like oh my god uh, awesome. but I look it was when I was growing up we had two channels and everything was on repeat so I'm very familiar with stuff from like the 50s and 60s of BBC that RT where I was getting for nothing that were like just on heavy duty repeat and like well this looks very old but like seems to just about be in colour. One of my earliest memories is like Liverpool v Crew in a cup game and I found it on YouTube where like um, it was the, you know the way it was the worst like BBC was just coming in you could vaguely see it and Liverpool won like 4-0 in those old green Carlsberg jerseys but like we had two channels we literally had two we channels too, uh, yeah. including the national anthem and at the end of the night just thing they had at the end of the night a prayer before bedtime mm. uh, right let's get going <laughs> uh, there, are a fair, there are a fair few changes here lads so yeah we'll, we'll get into it I'll run you through them really quickly so are we on slide four we are on slide four okay so Waterford the Waterford footballers got their first win in over 600 days of the weekend went under the radar a little they bet London by 2-9 to 2-5 they did incredibly well um, had a black card and conceded a penalty I think in the first half so um, if Fitzgerald and Waterford fair play um, big thing to get that first win off the back so they've now replaced London and they've moved into 31st place. Their first move in the power rankings, I would imagine, in a long time, even under the stewardship of Owen Sheehan. Uh, Tipperary have continued to slide back there in 27th place. Relegation was confirmed at the weekend with defeat to Offaly. Wicklow were up 126th. Despite another late draw, Wicklow still have a great shout of promotion. And if they beat Waterford and Sligo beat Leitrim, Oshie McConville would have secured promotion as first year's manager. So, Big move for Wicklow. Leash lost to Leitrim. They've slipped back one, and it could have been so simple if they'd beaten them. If they'd held on and beaten them, they would have promotion in their own hands. Likewise at Wicklow, if they had held off Wexford and beaten them by a point, they would have promotion in their own hands. They're pipped at the death by Leitrim, and now they need a win against London, plus a Sligo defeat, and hope that Wicklow don't cash them and score difference. That's how Division 4 is looking. The other two, when we get on to the next slide, we've got Leitrim in 24th position. They're up to another brilliant win. They held off Leash at home. They had had a habit over the last couple of weeks of taking a lead in the middle of the second half and just falling away in the last 15 minutes. This time they went five up with 15 minutes to go and they won by two. So good signs in Leitrim and they're in a do or die clash at home once more against the tabletop in Sligo. I would argue that Carrick and Shannon, again, it's not being televised, so 
loud fans can be empathised with. I would argue that Carrick and Shannon is the only place to be this Sunday What's, at one what stamp is he putting on the team? Um, so we've had very little footage to go off, Johnny, but I can tell you that um, I had a look at some of the Wicklow game and they have they play a very direct style. They've got a superstar with Keith Byrne there and Keith Byrne was named the team the week four weeks in a row. They're not afraid to go direct to Byrne against Leash in the last couple of minutes when Leash were on, on the attack. Um, Byrne won two unbelievable marks, kicked two huge scores in the last couple of minutes. They have a clutch forward there. They're a very valuable commodity in every division in Gaelic football. But if you've got somebody who can put the ball over the bar in Division 4 and you know how to get the best out of them, you're going to do well. And Leach, we're doing that with Keith Byrne. They've got a really athletic middle third, um, which is really important. Um, and yeah, they play a fairly direct style of football. That some of the scores in that Wicklow game, like Paul Keeney scored a point from... 55 yards with the outside of the right boot. He wasn't afraid to take the shot. That Andy would have been way. proud so, of. I'm not sure if Andy Moran would have even taken that shot hey. on, but Keeney took it on. And a few <laughs> minutes later, uh, the wing back, I can't remember exactly who had it, who had the ball, drove a 50-yard ball into Keith Byrne, who skinned the full back, dummy the goalkeeper, and put it in the back of the net. Now, Wicklow came back and beat them. But they're obviously playing with a bit of freedom, a bit of abandon, a bit of confidence. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing them this weekend. I'm hoping to get up to the game on Sunday. Let's keep going. Come on. So Sligo 23rd, Antrim, one of the results of the weekend, they bet Calvin, they secured um, their position in Division 3. Armagh fans don't sleep on Antrim. They've been quietly one of the most improved teams in the division this year. Um, they had a poor year last year. They've bounced back this year. They've lost two games in injury time, but they're safe. Leitrim have slid back to 21st. It's been a really... They, they've slid back Limerick. three points, actually. Sorry, yeah, Limerick, yeah. L- Limerick, sorry. It's been a really tough 2023 so far. Relegation confirmed at the weekend as they failed to turn over Kildare after they bombed out the manager so they didn't get the manager bounce that they were hoping for. Um, Down have slid back one. Down have been really unlucky. Um, I tipped them at the start of the year to go up. They've pervert, preserved their 100% home record with another win, but a costly late defeat for Mana means that they cannot secure promotion on the last day because of the head-to-head rule. They need to reach the Ulster final this year to compete for Sam, and they've got Donegal in that Ulster quarterfinal, um, which I'm saying to keep an eye on, and I've said that from January. Offaly are up two places. Offaly ended an incredibly difficult week last week after the passing of their manager Liam Kearns by beating Tipperary and leaving themselves in with a really good shed of promotion in the final day against Down. They're up against Down in the last game. Fermanagh in 18th place, one of the stories of the league, five wins and a defeat. Um, another win at the weekend. They held off Westmead, who have been really disappointing in the league, you'd have to say. Um, and now they have to beat Cavan on the final day to go up. So for Fermanagh, it's simple. You beat Cavan, who are already promoted and may have an eye on the league final already. You beat Cavan and you go up. But if Fermanagh lose to Cavan and Offaly beat down, Offaly will join Cavan in Division 2 next year. Cavan have slid back two places to minus two. They were 10 points down at the weekend to Antrim. They came back and, and lost by one. Maybe they already have an eye on Ulster in the league final. Um, the, it, it's looking like they may have to reach the league final to get to Sam unless Westmead get to the Leinster final and then that position becomes free. Uh, it is still a quite a complicated system. We'll, we'll know about nine teams that are in Sam Maguire. Yeah, the Ulster final. Yeah, yeah. Go on. The weekend. So, Kildare, after quite a slide over the last couple of weeks, I am giving them their kudos. They got their three goals, their first three goals of the league. They're into 16th place. They got the job done on Limerick. It was not convincing, but they got the job done. 
Um, and beating Mead next week, I would argue, is important for a couple of reasons. It's important for your positioning in Division 2. And if Kildare don't want to play in Sam Maguire, and I put it to James O'Donoghue and Paddy Anders in the football pod last night, would it be a good thing for teams like Mead and Kildare to compete in Sam? Should they actually compete there? The lads actually felt that the profile of the Mead team meant, there's, I think the average age I'd put to them is around 24, meant that maybe Sam Maguire or Tatching Cup could be the good right thing for Mead because they were so naive and... <laughs> Uh, there is clearly talent there, but for the Kildare players and fellas that are stuck, Daniel Flynn, Kevin Flynn, Kerwin, uh, Kevin Feely, Daryl Kerwin, players that are a little bit older, that are a little bit more settled, they need to be competing in Sam Maguire and showing what they're about. So um, Kildare in 16th place, and that that's a big game next weekend against. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I think I might be in full agreement with Bailey that uh, me they're getting a bit of a soft ride here after. Their performance last weekend. I don't know. If, so, um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Westmead have slipped back two places. Promotion's out of reach. They will compete in Sam. It's been a very weird league. They've scored thirteen goals. They've conceded one. I will. I I had them in for promotion with Calvin. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a letdown now. Westmead. Westmead have let the, the air, let, have let the air come out of the balloon because they, they like we. Everybody talks about the the scenes last year when they won the Talchin Cup, and then obviously some of their club teams went deep. And mm-hmm. you thought, okay, this is the rising tide and Division 2 football is next. Have a season in Division 2 where you, you kind of establish yourselves. But that didn't happen. They're now an established Division 3 side and they'll be back in the Talton Cup next year, almost irrespective of what happens. 100% year. And uh, yeah, it's the yo-yo continues. And that's what you're trying to break for a lot of these counties. You're trying to just reach beyond mediocrity and get a bit of momentum behind you. And we'll get to a team now that have done it remarkably well since 2021 in Loud. But Westmead, back to 15th. I can't see them getting much higher than that. Um, I got a lot of stick for having them quite high early on, but that's where I felt they deserved to be at the start of the season. So, and they let you down. Uh, come at me. In 14th place, this hurt. Um, but I do actually think it's fair. Mead are in 14th place. I actually couldn't move them any further. And it just shows the stock of teams around this position. There are a lot of teams that aren't playing well at the minute. And like, what did you expect at the weekend? You probably expected Mead to have a a better structure. It was actually alarming how easy they made it for Dublin. It was such a disappointment. Um, Colin O'Rourke spoke about it last July, that beating Mead, or beating Dublin as a Mead footballer is still the, the litmus test, you could say. He doubled down on it in the Tommy Tiernan show in February and said that, man-to-man battles could you go and play against them that was the big thing and it just seems like Mead are set up to fail at the weekend is, where Playing is Colm O'Rourke at at the moment Colm O'Rourke is at Colm O'Rourke is a uh, there's a really good team around Colm O'Rourke uh, and Stephen Bray Barry Callaghan um, uh, Paul Garrigan and Shane Wall I feel like they need to look at the Derry defeat they need to look at the Dublin defeat take the positives and the negatives in the league it's very early on but they need to Possibly set up the way they did in the second half, which is much more secure, but it was far too late. Um, I feel like there is a bit of a... <sighs> there's a full back line there, two 21-year-olds and a 27-year-old, all in their first year playing inter-county football. And, did they, not and fall out, did they not fall out with the best full back in the country who apparently is down in Australia? I, I, I don't know I don't know if there was a fallout there. My, I, I, I have to do a bit of digging on that, but it is fair to say that Conor McGill was one of the... Um, club player of the year strongest club player of the year in Mead he was the captain of the club championship the club champions 
one of the strongest footballers you could say in the mead like in in the county. You could say that condition. Some people were saying was an issue against the Dubs. I tell you one thing, Conor McGill had no problem with conditioning. Um, he's one of the most athletic fullbacks in the country. I can't tell you what happened. I don't know what happened there. Well, I don't know why he's not in the squad. I, but like you're missing fellas like McGill. Brian Menton wasn't convinced to come back, as far as I know. And he's another player who is a real leader and a rock in the middle of that team. I you would have heard me argue for years under Andy McEntee that Mead were better than they were given credit for. And they were coming up against the greatest Dublin team of all time. And I felt like Mead deserved a bit more credit for how they were getting on. And they weren't far off. They were trying to assist them. Now that hit its peak and it slid backwards. But the complete spine of what McEntee had done has been completely ripped out. And I've been saying since the start under O'Rourke that a marriage of styles is needed. I do think that the players, there's a very young core of players coming through. They're very, 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 very talented. They do need a bit of a... They do need to be allowed to express themselves and play with a bit of freedom. But the complete spine has been written out of what Mead have done for six years. And I don't think that should have been done. O'Rourke is in danger of becoming Gary Neville at Valencia. That's what is happening at the moment. And so he needs to get a grip of the situation really quickly and decide what they want to be. Do they want to play modern football that's ready for the challenges of Division 2 Bear in mind, this is Division 2 we're talking about where they're getting hockeyed in games and uh, we'll see come championship what happens, but it's it's careering off path quickly. And look... It, I know, no, it, I, look I'm, I'm going to put on the record before the clip goes out. You said Gary Neville, not me. Just before this clips up and my name gets put to it. You said Gary Neville, not me. But I would say that that management team have to be good enough to recognise the lessons that they've learned so far. It and they've got to be able to turn this around. To be fair, it is a like, like, Well, Rourke has to, like, you look at you look at the way the loud players talk about Mickey Hart. Mm. It's not just Mickey Hart. They talk about Gavin Devlin, horse they call him, being, and they believe, the best coach in the country. And James who said on the pod this week, it doesn't matter if he's the best co- coach or not. All that matters is that you believe it. Mm. And it's such a powerful mm. thing when a group... A group of players well, and a management team are all moving in the same direction. And I have to say for me, that's the placebo very, effect. Very it's, early. It's, that's okay. it's very early. It's very early, Jer. Okay, like okay. Two, okay. It's up and down. Could be too late. And I think as it's well. fair that Mead are 14th. I it, don't think Mead should be any worse. Well, I, I, I think if Kildare beat them this weekend, they should definitely be, be behind them. Like, they fluked to draw well, against Limerick, who are, like, on, not even on the same sheet as them. They probably, they probably should have beaten Limerick, to be honest. They Like, I, I watched that game back. They should have beaten Limerick. Um,. And Limerick were buoyed, I would imagine, by the fact that as a team, as a group, powerfully they had decided to get rid of Ray Dempsey. So, but he was I still in charge of that game, wasn't he? Yeah, but I would say that the, the meeting had already happened for the Limerick players, and I think they, there's a bit of freedom there for Limerick. So, <laughs> interesting so, take. Okay, that, that, that was, <laughs> I think they got their manager bounce before Kildare. Came. They are gymnastics. Oh. Uh, There's Nadia Comanech, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, okay, uh, perfect okay. gymnastics. 10. Okay, but I do think Mead are 14th in the country, and I actually think if they get into the Touching Cup, they deserve to be in the Touching Cup, and well, they may fall there even if they beat Kildare because if Cork beat Derry, Cork could get fourth place, and that should be enough. Luckily. So, Luckily, uh, the game is in Newbridge from Mead's perspective, and uh, the record there is horrific at the moment. Let's move on because there's actually Division One that we should be talking about. Exactly, and it's a sorry argument to be getting into about who's going to win between Mead and Clare because they're just two ball men fighting over a comb, as we might would say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I'm going to say the Mead under twenties had a big win last night. Uh, they held off Longford in difficult conditions, and they've struggled against Longford. So there is hope in Mead because there are young footballers coming through. But it's just. A, Something has to be tweaked over what's happened. Lessons have to be learned. Let's move on to the team. 13th place, Clare. Um, people are going to say I should have Clare lower, and I, I probably should, but I, I talk about me being lucky and 
<laughs> they probably are, are the luckiest team in Division Three. They should be in a rele- Division Two. They should be in a relegation battle this weekend if they had drawn to Limerick. If they hadn't turned over Cork in that last fifteen minutes in the first game, and we saw what Cork have done since, Clare should have a shot at staying up. But you make your own luck in many ways, and they've completely run out of steam in the last couple of weeks. They have one last hope to stay in Sam Maguire. And when you argue with the profile of a team, I think this Clare team fancy themselves as a side who would have a crack in an All-Ireland series, in a round-robin series. They got to the last eight last year. Um, but they're in Division 3 next year, so that's that's where they're at, and uh, they're going to have to um, bounce back from from a tough position. They've had eight years in Division 2. It's the first relegation under Colin Collins, um, but two defeats to Calair and Dublin by a point in round three and four were key. So Cork in Munster, quarterfinal, April 9th. I'm telling you, that's another game to keep an eye on. Championship games are coming thick and fast and that is going to be a cracker in the, in the Munster quarterfinal. So, 12th position, <clears throat> the moment Loud fans have been waiting for. I was reminded last night, lads, that I actually gave Loud an outside shot at Leinster last year. So, I'm just putting that out there that I, I give them an outside shot at Leinster. So, I don't deserve all the stick I've been getting for having Loud where they were. I'll be honest, I didn't fully believe that they would be able to do what they've done this year. And that is credit to what Mickey Hart and Gavin Devon have done and to what that group of players have done because they are missing their two marquee men yeah. they're missing Kieran Byrne who played professional football for six years and I can imagine set so many standards around that group and you know maintains them and it's so important to have around the place and they're missing Samuel Roy their talisman who is out with a hamstring injury they're missing two or three others like I watched them against Clare they had three first half injury enforced substitutions that day same against Mead they had three first half injury enforced substitutions they're down to the the thin bones of their panel and they are operating like it doesn't matter and the the manner in which they're set up like they're crying the likes of Mead and Clare are crying out to have a set up the way they loud have. Like last year, they conceded every kickout. And this year, they've got a full core press with their goalkeeper winning kickouts in midfield. They just believe in what they're doing. And it's such a powerful thing. And they are rightfully, I'm going to say it right now, I didn't say it last week because I actually thought Cork would turn them over and it would save me a couple of weeks. I wanted to wait until the Leinster quarterfinal until they face Westmead. Louder, the second best team in Leinster at the minute. I don't think it's the greatest, you know, trophy to be winning, but they deserve to be there and they've earned it because they've gone from Division 4 in 2021 to being on the verge of making it to Division 1 in 2023 and Dublin had it all their own way last week against Mead and I hope it filled them with a false sense of security because there is no hope in hell that Loud are going to give it to them their own way in Crow Park this weekend you'd much um, so. you'd much rather be Loud than Kildare or Mead at the moment so I don't think it's that controversial and, and Westmead as well after the, the league campaign so okay uh, let's keep going yeah so Loud are in 12th position uh, Cork are in 11th they lost at the weekend I would argue that Cork again luck comes into it but Cork were unlucky at the weekend they were in a very commanding position against Loud conceded a penalty before half time it was missed rebound was scored um, they had a man sent off Loud got the benefit of, of playing against 14 men for the entire second half for the second or third week in a row and that in Gaelic football is a, is a big thing uh, Donegal are in 10th position we know what's going on in Donegal. Not worth talking about there, going back into it. Monaghan are in ninth. I think they're going to join Donegal in Division 2 next year. Roscommon have slipped back one more, even though they put on a decent showing against Kerry. Uh, it's a wee slide, but they can still reach the league final, albeit it's a long shot um, if results go their way and they beat Donegal. Might be worth talking about these two. Tyrone are up in one place. Um, I've been impressed with how they've bounced back after that limp defeat to Casabar. I-, I was at that game against Mayo and it was alarming. 
the systems malfunction that had unfolded in front of us. Um, but it's a very interesting game against Armagh next week, and we'll get a good gauge of where both Armagh and Toronto are really at because Toronto bounce back. Armagh, it's like, I don't think Armagh are far away. And I can really understand why they've done what they've done. I know people are probably frustrated with it. We all loved Armagh last year. I talked Armagh up plenty. We loved the way they played football. There was a, a, a box office rock star element to it. And I think they sat down and they looked at what happened against Galway and in a lot of their other games. And they were far too reliant on emerging out of the chaos, the right side of it. And maybe they want to bring a bit more control into what they're doing. And that's what they've tried to do. They've set up a lot more defensively. They've become a lot more um, conservative with the ball. James and Paddy are begging them to let loose this weekend and show us that they still have what they had last year because that is what made our mass special. I think we will see it because Armagh are in danger of going down if uh, Monaghan managed to turn over Mayo and I know Shane describes Monaghan as the cockroach of the Division 1 and it's a fair moniker. I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think Armagh will be safe either way but I do think Armagh are going to throw the shackles off and we've mentioned it before, momentum, when the championship is so close and they've got Antrim coming up, Armagh need a performance and a result this weekend. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they're doing a heavy block of training and they're not tapering for these games and they don't give a shit about the league. And that, that's a totally fair way to go about things. But I think um, we were chatting about this earlier on in the week. Uh, it's a long era that we've had with Geezer there and a national trophy at the end of that to say this is progress. Like, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if they limp out of Ulster and then we see something brilliant from them in the round robin. That's not a million miles away from how Geezer has like traditionally over the 14 years of his managerial career um, that's how the season has worked out for them okay let's keep going it could happen well you know, it's, it's worth hanging on this point for a second so I think Tyrone are back by the way I mean I, oh, I was like I was getting absolutely hammered uh, last season when I was like oh this Tyrone team they're not the shit all Ireland champions that everybody says they are they're actually really good they've got a spine of brilliant players and I was like, no this is the worst all Ireland final I've ever seen they're the worst team since Cork 2010 to win. and then like, you go back and you watch those Cork Kerry games and that Cork team were amazing who like were very unfortunate not to win more than that so I don't know I think um, so, so, sorry I totally agree with you that they were, they were full value for their All-Ireland win Toronto are back but no hold on let's not discount last year last year they tanked like they, <laughs> that was one of the poorest All-Ireland defences we've seen in a long time and it can happen and let's park that are they back they're showing signs and I do think that one of the positives, and I'm not sure if you've seen much from Jer, but Derek Canavan is, is, is starting to grab the, the bull by the horns and Rory is getting a couple of minutes every game. And I think that the two of them are going to have a big influence over them this year. And some of the younger lads like Cormac Quinn are starting to solidify themselves and put a bit of energy back into this Toronto team. So, so I... Maybe they were right. a season ahead. Oh, the, you win nothing with kids. But this year, they're not kids anymore. So, okay, very quickly. Possibly. So, very quickly... Okay, Derry are fifth, Dublin are fourth, Mayo are third, Galway are second, Kerry are first. We can have an argument here if you want, right? But what you said there about our man, the train block was interesting. I put it to James every week now, are you worried about Kerry? Are you worried about Kerry? No, Kerry are flat, nothing to worry about. James says, big train and block coming up now. That's what Kerry are focused on. They're not playing, they're going to play Tipper Waterford in the third week of April. The Dubs, I think, are out the third week of April as well. Maybe it's not the worst thing, and I'm not saying they're going to do it or it's going to happen, but if our man were to lose to Antrim, they would have a month, minimum, five, six weeks until they're in the All-Ireland Round Robin series and then they're guaranteed three games. That's the way the setup is this year. 
it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for an Ulster side who are guaranteed to play in Sam to lose early doors and get their training block in like in previous years it might be the most straightforward way for a team to get conditioned properly because the calendar is so insane this year it's so hard to know exactly where teams are at especially the teams that are expecting to be in the latter end of the championship I hadn't thought about that from a Mayo perspective maybe that's the right thing for them to do as well because they can win, they can win a gazillion games to get to an All Ireland semi final or final, and then find themselves completely depleted, or they can lose in the first round of the Connacht Championship and have a month off. And that is a very good comparison because the way I, I looked at this earlier in the year, I think Armagh could win the All Ireland this year in thirteen games because they're playing the preliminary round in, in Ulster. Galway, who are already in the Connacht semi final, could do it in eight. Mm. That's the way it is. If they if they go clean through, if Armagh go to back door. Or if they if they go clean to Ulster, it's, it's thirteen games. Ulster says no. Ulster says no to a fair no, championship. Ulster says no. They don't want proposal <laughs> B. Ulster says no. Screw you. We need to we need to punish our teams for playing all these games in, in Ulster. What were they thinking? Yeah. Anyway, and it's the exact same for a Clare or a Limerick who are now in Division Three and looking at the Tatchin Cup the same way that Cavan down for Manor, who Cavan down for Manor, who all have had a bit of momentum. Clare and Limerick, you know. It's going the other way. But Clare and Limerick only need to win. Clare need to beat Cork and then beat Limerick to get to a Munster final and, and retain the place of Sam. We, Cavan or Fermanagh are on the, you know, a much tougher proposition. More of that goodness, of course, on the football pod with uh, Tommy and yes. Paddy and James. Tommy, good stuff. non contentious power Thanks rankings. Thanks very much. That's this week's Enjoy. episode. And Bailey. Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. Poor Owen wasn't even involved. <laughs> uh, right up next Keen Tracy is going to join us in the studio to pick his Six Nations team of the tournament first Brian O'Driscoll chatting with Joe last night the full podcast is exclusively available on the Off The Wall Podcast Network they haven't left that many things before a World Cup to, to, to deliver to give themselves the best shot but until we do go and do it in a World Cup we'll always be that but team yeah, and that's the reality of it and people have every right to shoot us down as you know as someone that you know peaks between World Cups and so on you still have to get it done yeah. at the time that it really counts which we have not managed to do Steve Hansen did just this week I saw that I, had, I saw that I this, this kind of reflex to go well hang on a minute and then <coughs> okay okay they're we'll right we'll they see. are right and I, I unfortunately I, I have to live that as you know someone that was involved in four of them and you know it's it does you look back and reflect on your career you do think of the great days but you also think about what you missed what you what you didn't get done and what others have managed to do and and you don't have one of them and so a world cup medal of course and but we weren't world cup no. winning standard we never were in those four world cups no. we weren't we could have gotten to a semi final but we were never going to win it Whereas, you know, con- being confident this time round, it's the first time that you could genuinely say that there is a chance with lots going right for us that we could be World Cup champions. But. Yeah. Yeah, the big but. We have um, plenty of months to uh, think about that. But that was Brian O'Driscoll last night. The full podcast is available, as I said, exclusively in the OTB Rugby feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, now, Keen Tracy of the Irish Independent is with us. Keen, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you? Um, the dust is beginning to settle on Ireland's Six Nations triumph. Um, Slightly. 
Yeah. I think we can get another few days out of the year. I mean, the, the country's going a bit mad. But sure, why wouldn't we? Like, mm-hmm. this is, there's, there's definitely two sides to the going mad thing. It's like, oh, we've gone too far. It felt a little bit like we'd gone too far in the build-up to the uh, England game where people were like just arriving to celebrate the victory before the match was played. But now that it's happened, go mad. If you're not going to enjoy winning a Grand Slam, I mean, it's only been done four times in the history, never been done in Dublin. So, yeah, like, I mean, even if you touch in the 20s, winning the, the Grand Slam 24 hours later, like, this is, these are special days for Irish rugby. I think everyone knows that the big, biggest challenge is ahead later this year, but that can come, like you mentioned there, like, it's, it's very important. I think the players are conscious of that. I remember speaking to James Ryan in about 2019, and he said that uh, Rob Kearney said to them in the dressing room after they won it in 2018, to particularly himself and Andrew Porter, who'd only just broken onto the scene, it won't always be like this. And sure enough, it hasn't been. So mm. I think there's an element of enjoying it. And from what I hear, the players certainly enjoyed themselves over the weekend and fully, fully deserved. But it's mad to think like on Saturday week now, you're going to have Leinster and Munster knocking lumps out of each other in the Champions Cup uh, round of 16. And it kind of, it all goes back to normal before we build back up again in the summer. But what a weekend for Irish rugby. Yeah. Yeah. And look, there's loads of other bits and pieces that we can get into. We did ask you to pick your Six Nations 2023 team. Did all of the players who were nominated, I'm just trying to um, do a quick toss for the player of the tournament, didn't make it. All right. Controversial. Who's out? Well, Thomas Ramos isn't at full back for, for starters. Um, Hugo Keenan, I think, is, for me, nailed on. One of the first uh, one of the first names on the team sheet. I'm looking here now to remember who I picked again. Um, I, I, I've got it for you if you need. Um, so you've gone... We'll, we'll start with number nine, which has to be DuPont, who is... Oh, yeah. like, so this... Um, I, I hadn't realised this, but uh, maybe everybody knew this, but Matt Williams was on yesterday saying that um, France were delighted because they'd had a really hard training block through the early stage and they hadn't uh, periodised the training to peak for the games. They were like, no, this is what's, this is, we're going to stress them. We're going to put you out on your feet. We're going to see how you deal with it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I think, I think that was, that was definitely the, the word during the rounds. And then I think the performance in Twickenham, you saw like kind of how they were. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, <clears throat> Like my sense of how France were kind of ticking along was they won a Grand Slam last year not playing the best rugby you'd have to say definitely not playing typical French rugby and while that's grand when you're winning I was kind of going wow okay if, if, if this starts to fall apart a little bit come the World Cup if there's any supporters that are going to get on the, the back it's the French so the Twickenham performance I think was a real stark reminder of that they haven't gone away and they're able to play the power game they're able to play the running game so I thought that was a huge huge uh, result for France and performance as well After one of the November games we were at the Aviva and then went uh, to the pub and watched the France Australia game uh, it was one of the mm. best games of rugby I've ever seen because Australia were like we've nothing to lose here and it was just before their coach ended up getting fired but they were running in tries from uh, behind their goal line and France were doing the same thing mm-hmm. and it was just such a high level of stuff that you were watching and you're like uh, I still think France are the best team in the world and you do yeah so Ireland are obviously not, not likely to win the World Cup well I, I think that the whole number one ranking thing is like it's nonsensical in, in a team sport really the team who wins the World Cup is currently the best team in the world and we haven't had a World Cup this year mm-hmm. and at, at the end of the year we're going to have a World Cup and the best team in the world is going to win the World Cup and the it's now implied that France were not at their best in Dublin basically they well, physically, no, physically weren't no, trained to be at their best on that day yeah like they, they okay they were probably at maybe 98-97% but taking nothing away like that was an exceptional Irish performance mm-hmm. and France did turn up on the day as well so I think the, the, the rankings like are such a nonsense really um I don't think the the Irish squad really read too much of it and you see the way the draw for the World Cup is working it's crazy so I know everyone knows at this stage but you have what is it top five teams uh, ranked in the world um, sorry, sorry, except South Africa or sorry, sorry, are on the same side all on the same side of the draw which is 
crazy really so you're going to have a good chance that a poor England team could get to a World Cup semi-final then once you get to that stage you know the old cliche that anything can happen so um, also that the calendars are lopsided as well so like you know the Six Nations will go into cold storage now we'll have the, the provinces playing out but come the summer the rugby championship is going to start and you know if South Africa or the All Blacks or even Australia who I actually think are dark horses as well like they gave Ireland a serious game in, in November too so um, if one of those teams lights it up in the Rugby Championship you know, suddenly Ireland's Grand Slam is a little bit of a distant memory and yeah. they're coming into the World Cup on form so there's so much run uh, road left to run before we get to the World Cup that yeah. loads can happen and it's a massive challenge to get us to the stage in September, October where we were at this point and like it's not we don't traditionally play our best rugby at that point of the season because we're not attuned to so but they've done they've done it well when you think about last summer building into November clean sweep building into Grand Slam clean sweep so hopefully they've turned a corner in that regard yeah okay so sorry DuPont is nine and it's not even up for debate right no yeah that's yeah absolutely yeah Sexton at ten was there anybody who was pushing him out? I don't think so um, Entomac a lot of times Finn Russell at times but I mean then you think of the, the Ireland game and okay he had a couple of moments but that was the game where you wanted to see you know Finn Russell show dominant display. yeah exactly yeah. and you didn't have that dominant display I don't think Sexton was at his best in every game he certainly wasn't at his best last weekend but he's just so important to Ireland we saw again in um in Rome when he didn't play now there was other sort of factors in that you had a new halfback pairing you had a centre pairing who I don't think will ever play for Ireland again together because it just didn't work in terms of Bundyaki and Stuart McCloskey and when Sexton isn't there it just doesn't hum as well so for me he was he was You say that but by the time we get to a World Cup semi-final we'd be like they're the only two bodies left standing lads out you go <laughs> Yeah exactly yeah. Um, I, I think the thing about Finn Russell as well is like he was wearing a, a knee brace against Ireland and so he'd obviously gone back and played a game for the club Crossing, in between yeah. And he wasn't the same player. Yeah, and like that's He's again. It's been unbelievable as well, hasn't it? That's yeah. The, like Finn Russell is great. Like is is great to watch. But I mean, like if you're talking about a team in a championship, who you want there? Like it's for me, it's Johnny Sexton every day. Like in terms of like you know entertainment and stuff, Finn Russell might pull a rabbit out of a hat. Is he the best out half in the world still? Johnny Sexton, mm. I would say so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take another out half in the world Incredible. right now than than Johnny Sexton. Like who would you say? Like Richie Mwanga, mm. Andre Pollard. For me, Johnny Sexton every day. Um, okay, so you've gone for. Mac Hansen and Damien Pinot on the wings. Yeah, I did take a bit of kind of liberty here now in moving Mac Hansen onto the left wing if we're going to be pedantic, which I usually am when I see teams like this. And then I went against my own golden rule. But look, Mac Hansen is the type of guy I think you could play. You could play him out half. You could play him full back. But um, I thought he was exceptional for Ireland. Obviously, he got two man of the match performances and just the energy I think he gives. Obviously, he's nominated for player of the tournament, fully deserved as well. And James Lowe is probably a bit unlucky to, to miss out, but Damien Penno, I think, you know, outside of DuPont is probably my favourite player in the world to watch. Um, he's just real, real yeah. old school. The try he scored against Ireland was... That was amazing. That like, was one of my moments of... Like, yeah, it was in... The, the noise that the French... When they just they were I think like, the Irish the Irish yeah. fans are making the noise yeah. as well. Maybe. It was like old rugby-like. It was like, Exactly. Yeah. And he is real throwback to the old days. He's just such a thrill a minute. And yeah, I thought I had to have him in my team. I thought, you know, I have oh. to make a space for him. You've gone for a 12 and a 13 combination from Scotland and Ireland? Yeah, so um, Sione Tuipilotto I thought was one of the big success stories I have to say of Scotland's Six Nations campaign. I think a lot of their success was predicated on the fact that in a similar way that Ireland aren't as reliant on Johnny Sexton um, Gregor Townsend has sort of built attack that it, it, it all goes through Finn Russell but when you have a playmaker like Tuipilotto outside of him I think it made the Scottish attack less predictable and I thought he was really really impressive um, Gary Ringrose some people might say that's a bit controversial because obviously he didn't play in two of the games he was injured in Rome 
he was injured last weekend but my god when he did play he was he just reminded us I think of why he is uh, for me probably the best 13 in the world at the moment it was really disappointing that he didn't get to, a chance you know to feature in the, the Grand Slam I thought it was really telling that you know after he had that horrible injury which was probably the lowest point I think of the Six Nations I was over in Murrayfield it was really horrible like that the few minutes when he was on the ground but on the, come the Tuesday he was back in at the team meetings which shows you how highly he is valued on the Friday he was doing the captain's run on the Thursday night he presented Josh van der Fleer with his 50th cap um, so that just shows the sort of I think the inclusive environment that Andy Farrell has created and it also I think shows how high uh, Gary Ringrose is rated in there Is there any sense I mean obviously we, we, his, his health is the main thing but he seemed like he was on the pitch yeah, the medal like, seemed- I, I think like the like I'm not obviously not a doctor but I think um, the return to play concussion p- protocols are so much more now about trying to get you back on your feet and trying to get you active and stuff so I don't necessarily think that means we're going to see Gary Ringrose play against Ulster next weekend. I'm not sure, um, but I'm sure like Leinster and Ireland, to be fair, have a good track record of you know giving players as much time. I think in terms of twelve, I should mention. I think if Jonathan Dante had played, you know, throughout the Six Nations, he only played the last two games, and outside of Anton Dupont, he is probably France's most important player. So, and he was a big, big miss in in Dublin. Yeah, as well. he's yeah. exceptional. Look, I, I think the thing about the um, if Ireland do play France in the World Cup, it's about the available. Uh, the world-class players that both sides have available. Mm-hmm. I know we have strength in depth and we're going to talk about it now when we get to the front row, but you absolutely, whoever is most fortuitous with injuries heading into that game are going to be favourites for me on the day before kickoff. Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like So much can happen. Like the, the, There's going to be injuries by the time we even get to the start of the World Cup. So what is it? It's going to be a 33-man World Cup squad and right now we can all pick our World Cup squads and I would say 30, 31 of the players would be fairly similar across the board. But really and truly, they're not all going to make it and that's just an unfortunate reality, I think, of playing a, a collision sport. But you definitely feel... I'd say more confident than you would have been, we'll say, even at this time last year, you know, heading into a situation like that, because I think lots of the, the players underneath the first tier have really pushed on to another level um, with Ireland, like so Ryan Baird, Tom O'Toole, so it's encouraging. OK, let's get to the front row. Uh, Cyril Bai, Dan Sheehan and Finley Bielan makes it. Mm. I thought the props were actually the the most difficult to pick. Um, I know everyone would probably debate all of my selections, but for me, the, the props were probably the... The two most difficult. So I'll start with Cyril Boyle. Why don't I have Andrew Porter? People are probably saying. I thought Andrew Porter was really, really good for Ireland. Definitely one of their stronger players. Um, for me, though, there's still like he he like kind of toes a fine line between like being aggressive and over aggressive. He conceded six penalties against Wales. He conceded four penalties against England. So that's ten penalties in two games for a prop. I still think certain referees feel that he kicks his hips out um, at scrum time, which is an issue as well. We talk about you know painting the right pictures, and I think certain referees are just happy to ping Porter for that. Um, so I, while I thought he was very good, I just think Cyril Boy was exceptional as well like he's very similar to Andrew Porter he can do it all I think he was someone who grew into the tournament as well he probably looked a little bit leggy um, in terms of that front ro- front loading block that we spoke about but he was he was really really good um, Dan Sheehan I mean you could have argued maybe Julian Marchand I think is, is really only the, the other player you could have said And but you know Dan Sheehan missed a, a game as well but I thought he was really really good Finley Bielham, I found it hard to pick a tight end, if I'm being honest. Um, obviously, Furlong missed most of the Six Nations and last weekend, by his own high standards, it was probably his poorest day for Ireland, which we just never say about Ireland. I've actually been amazed with how many people I've seen. I've seen lots of uh, people's teams at the tournament and they have Tyke Furlong in. They obviously haven't been watching, really, if they're putting Tyke Furlong in their team because... 
Tyke Furlong is generally what a 9 out of 10 every week and that certainly wasn't a 9 out of 10 last week so uh, I just couldn't put Tyke Furlong in for that I think Xander Fagerson maybe could have been you know a, a shout there Uni Antonio obviously you know got the suspension after he should have got the red card against Ireland He, I didn't think he was particularly good in the Six Nations either so I landed on Finley Beelham because I think coming into the Six Nations, if you had said uh, Tyke Furlong won't play until Murrayfield, you would have been really, really worried, particularly with that France game um, in round two. Um, even going to Wales in, in round one, you know, the, Wales, the Welsh scrum has been pretty good this season, even in their regions, as poor as they have been. And he was, no one was talking about Ireland missing Tyke Furlong. And no. I think that is a real testament to how much uh, Finley Beelan has come on. You think that back to Hugo Keenan's try, this stunning set-piece move that they scored, and Finley Beelan was such a key part of that. And it looked like Tyke Furlong there. So like it was a seamless switch, and it was really disappointing, obviously, that he picked up that injury in Rome. But then you have Tyke Furlong coming back. So I, I people would probably come at me with picking Finley Beelan, but I mean, I think Xander Fagerson is really probably the only one who, who has a shout there. It's probably a testament to Farrell as well that like um, the players that aren't starting are so valued. Like when they come in, it just it seems seamless. Like throughout. yeah, and like he's encouraging them to to be themselves, which kind of a lot of people thought was a bit of a cliche at the mm. start. But you think of Mac Hansen, like I mean, geez, he was coming out with golden quotes throughout the whole Six Nations, even on Saturday night again in the mix zone, just like thrill him in at stuff. James Lowe the same and Finley Beelan by his own sort of admission is a bit of a quirky character you know and they're all being encouraged to just be themselves and I think Finley Beelan is one of the guys actually who Netflix are particularly focusing on he's given him extra access and I think a lot of people won't be aware of him like he's a bit of a gamer he just you know he likes kind of different kind of things not to your kind of stereotypical rugby player and maybe people will see a bit of that when we get the Netflix documentary next year but I think he he probably summed up you know the, the the culture, Johnny, that you're talking about in terms of Farrell creating this positive environment. And like when guys are feeling happy off the pitch, you know they're going to play better on it. And that is so true. That applies to anything at all. So I thought Finley Beelan was really, really good throughout the tournament that he we played. We saw him in a full length neck brace, uh, not no, sorry, neck, leg brace yeah. at the weekend. Um, do we? I think he's supposed to be back mid April. So like you, those those knee braces can be a bit. You know, you see them and you go, "Whoa, geez. Yeah, traction." Yeah, like Jamie so. Osborne for Leinster, the young Leinster centre was in one as well last Saturday um, so he's going to be out for a while but I think Phelan is hoping to be back in mid-April and Connacht obviously have a, an important end of the season and he's really important there in Connacht so. Yeah, that's a pity about Osborne because you felt like if there was yeah. going to be any potential bolters mm-hmm. he was in that category uh, Okay, so it's a French and an Irish second row No, uh, I think surprised anybody James Ryan is there You've gone for Flamont Am I got that right? Yeah, well, sounds good to me. Yeah, Thibaut Flamont. Yeah, um, yeah, Thibaut Flamont. He is exceptional. I think he he sort of personifies the new the new age lock. He actually really reminds me of Ryan Baird in terms of his athletic profile, the way he plays the game. And you think that France came into the Six Nations without Cameron Walkie, who is you know one of the best young locks in the world. They didn't really miss him. So I thought Flamont was uh, outstanding. James Ryan. I mean, I don't like. I don't get too kind of caught up in kind of you know the players of the tournament, particularly not when it goes to a public vote, which I just think is an absolute nonsense. But I cannot understand how James Ryan hasn't been nominated for a player of the year. Um, I'm not saying necessarily he our player of the tournament. I'm not saying necessarily he had to win it, but in terms of picking six guys, um, I just think James Ryan was nailed on to be in there. It seemed uh, curiously biased against uh, the forwards. It was yeah. five backs and one, and Keelan Doris is the only. Oh, am I right? Yes. 
I think so. Yeah, off the top of my head, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it because they're not they're not that glamorous. And it was funny actually. Like Thomas Ramos had a really good second half of the Six Nations. You know, you mentioned about him not putting him at fullback, but I was talking to a few French journalists um, after the the France game in Ireland, and they were like really critical of Thomas Ramos. He got right. take he got taken off early in that game. They felt like that it was a lot of the blame was down to him for right. Ireland winning, and all of a sudden now he's been. You know, nominated for a player of the tournament, but I think you're right, Cher. Like James Ryan's role is so unglamorous, but it's so bloody important. To, like, you, like I know you guys have spoken about it as well in the show in terms of like, and I have as well with you. But how important quick rock ball is. Ryan's role in that is so so important in terms of hitting rocks and ensuring that Jameson Gibson Park has quick ball to play off. But they're the kind of things that like you, you know it's not really sexy. Not sexy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of uh, like Irish performance and locks, I thought he was yeah outstanding. Uh, speaking of sexy, it's an entire Ireland back row that is pretty sexy. Omani van der Fleer, Caelan Doris. Yeah, again, I think Peter O'Mahony fits into the James Ryan category. Uh, he won't get a lot of the plaudits, particularly outside Ireland, but I thought he had a quietly outstanding tournament for Ireland, particularly in Murrayfield when everything was going to pot around the line-out. Himself and James Ryan came together and sorted it out. Uh, Josh van der Fleer, I mean, what more can you say about him? Tr- thrown into the line-out. Uh, Andy, Andy Farrell said he took up golf three years ago, down to single figures already. The guy's got it all. Uh, Caelan Doris, yeah. Um, it was really unfortunate. I, I would be surprised if he was had been fully fit in that English game last week he wasn't at his kind of dominant best but up to that point before he got the injury early on in, in Murrayfield I think he was nailed on to be probably player of the tournament and I think now it's definitely more of a debate I know there was a debate about the rule and the validity of the rule and the law and okay so the law is the law and so therefore the Scottish uh, quick line out didn't even look that quick I'd say but anyway the piece of athleticism from from Doris to win the ball was mm-hmm. like Michael Jordan-esque because it's like I'm kind of stretching over it yeah. wasn't even straight I just and, and now it's wiped from everything we're never yeah. going to see it again in the highlights and, and it cost Ireland well it didn't cost they had a couple of chances at the end but a bonus point and they would have had a grand slam with five bonus points which has never been done before so maybe it was kind of just keep everyone's you know, expectations 24 out of 25 points I know they got the couple of bonus points for winning the grand slam but 24 out of 25 points and still feeling like there's plenty of scope for improvement is a remarkable place to be That's the bit isn't it that um, if they can just make sure that the complacency that we felt as a, a nation before kickoff. Well, I, I spoke about that on Saturday as well. My cat, like saying, like we can actually certainly my unit can play a lot better than we have. Is that is that and that's just that's not arrogance. It's like we actually can. No, I think if you went through each of the games, you'll pick out holes in it. Like you're never going to have like a full, you know, 100 percent perfect performance. That's not realistic. But I think if you went through it, and which Ireland will, they will find loads of. of of holes like you think back to the the England performance they probably saved their worst performance yeah, last really yeah. like I know Rome was a bit different because they made a few changes but to beat England at home with a bonus point to win a Grand Slam and it was probably like a 7 out of 10 performance you'd have to say like it's just incredible really so I think that's enough to keep everyone's feet on the ground really and particularly the coaching staff so while the players will have enjoyed the, the last few days like when they come into camp in what is it July before the, the August kind of warm up games They'll be given reams of footage, I think, to, for areas. And, and you had like say you had New Zealand, but then you have like um, Scotland, Italy, England, and obviously the French game, where they had to come through re- real mental and kind of physical like fortitude to need to show that. And it's like I think that 
definitely stands to a team. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll manage this. We, we, we've done this time and time again. Different scenarios as well. And the pressure last week was different to a pressure of going down to New Zealand and winning a third test because they were at home in front of a home crowd. And I think it was actually better that England came and gave them a game because they had to find a way to the, win. The sending they, off was a shame in that regard. It was like, because then, like, if it were 15 v 15, they, I think they still, still would have won. They still would have beaten like, them, yeah. And Paul O'Connell made this point after the French game, or sorry, recently, in talking about the French game, that he was delighted that Antonio didn't get sent off mm. because I think that game certainly there would have been a caveat yeah. you know all France but they were down to 40 men I don't think this England team with 15 yeah. men would have beaten Ireland so um, yeah pretty good place to be Alright Keen good stuff um, I expect it'll be a busy day defending your uh, selections yeah. on Looking forward to my uh, mentions yeah I was going to say um, Keen Tracy has picked his uh, team in the tournament there and um, we're very grateful uh, of the Irish Independent of course OTBAM live with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now John Duggan's with us in a moment first uh, to put a bow on our chat about rugby for the morning uh, here is a slight tangent talking Johnny Sexton if you go back to the lines, like I still think, and we won't relitigate it, but I still think Gatlin not bringing Sexton is one of the most ludicrous decisions of all time. So, and, does, and, and, so does Gatlin at this stage. He, he possibly does. I don't know. I'd imagine. Now, you still see a lot of Irish people defending it. And, and, and one of the reasons is that Sexton wasn't informed. Now, I absolutely dispute that his form still didn't make him a better out half than than bigger or you know what I mean he absolutely at the very least on the plane right I still think uh, even on his worst day he's a better player than Finn Russell whatever right he should have been on the tour okay but the fact that you were a, he could justify not bringing him shows you Sexton has got better in the last two or three years mm. like he has become I don't know whether it's smartness or whether it's adaptation to the game or whether he's leading the change in the game, which I do, you know, I'm, I think so much of him in some ways that I almost think he is capable of that, you know, of like changing how an attack or, you know, uh, is structured in the game of rugby. But he has gone to a new level as opposed to he's not even hanging on. To your point, you know, it's like it's not even that everybody else has fallen away. It's like Sexton has risen it. Mm. It's unbelievable at his age. Yeah, so much so that we're all arguing about whether he should go after the World Cup or not, as opposed to whether he'll make the World Cup. He shouldn't go. Anyway. Uh, he should. Uh, that's the lads on a slight tangent last night. You can get that on the OTB Daily feed wherever you get your podcast. John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Jared and Johnny, how are you both? Very excited about uh, Evan Ferguson. Well, he's got his eye in tonight. And hopefully he gets a goal and that'll then hopefully do him a huge amount of confidence for next Monday because it'd be difficult enough to go in cold as good as he's playing. You don't think so? No. I think so. In an international game against the world finalists. I think like Johnny's mic's off there, lads. Hang on a second. No no one can hear you. So We've censored you. I'm censored. Can you hear me now? I hear you now. So Evan Ferguson was playing a five aside against um, the lads tonight or against France. I just I don't think it really makes any odds to him temperamentally. He just seems to be so bulletproof. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope he scores tonight, though. Yeah, it'd be good to see it, wouldn't it? Clever idea to have the bundle of tickets so that you, if you want to go to the France game, you've got to go to this game as well. You yeah. can you can go on like Toutless, and I'm not trying to promote Toutless here, but Toutless is class. It's like you can't sell above face value, but you can sell at or below face value to somebody. So, like, if you can go on to that, say I got Dylan tickets last year for 100 quid on the day that were like probably 140 or something. So, you can maybe get Lafayette tickets tonight that are slightly below market value. So, if you are one of these lads in Donegal or these lassies in Donegal that wants to go to the France game but didn't want to go tonight, you can sell it for like 10 or 15% less or whatever and you can give a kid a chance to go to see Evan Ferguson get, make his uh, professional make his, get his first goal hopefully for Ireland so it's not I, I, I would entirely defend the FEI in this one I think I have no interest in Dylan I have to say 
<laughs> I wasn't, I'm not even a massive fan myself, but it was a good show. He's gone well for 81 or whatever. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. Um, so who else will get a start? Will, will Smallbone, Mark Sykes, uh, Mikey Johnston all get starts at some stage? I'm interested to see. Obviously, it'd be good to see Nathan Collins play the full 90 and you know get his eye in as well for next Monday. Um, what would you do, JD, in terms of the the system? Like, because it's it's uh, Gary Cronin was interesting. Sadly, he's like, I do not like three at the back, but we seem almost wedded to it now. Yeah, and it's hard to say because uh, he was always a four three three man, Stephen Kenny, wasn't he? So the fact that he feels that the three at the back is the best system suggests to me that he doesn't feel that we have enough in the four in the middle, and then we have to play five. But see, for me, our wing backs like this. This like it looked like our system was suited to the players that we had under um, in the early Kenny days. Like it suits us because we've really obvious wing backs and we're really strong in the centre back area. But now you're like, well, I'm not actually sure. Like, do we have the full backs? Do we have the full? Well, Seamus Coleman. Uh, I know he's been playing regularly for Everton, but is he is he, a, is he really a right back you want in I, your team, or do you, would you prefer Matt Doherty as a wing back? I could say you could one hundred percent play. Um, Omar Bamadeli or Daryl Shea right back no problem and against good teams they're going to be de- defending anyway is your left back going to be then then the left back that that does open up a situation and McLean's not an obvious left back Odell is certainly not a, a, yeah. an obvious left so back that might be the reason why he's gone three five two. but he, he does he does seem well to it but, but then the, on the flip side of that you have an overload in midfield to stop these players like to stop these holes that are appearing when we lose the ball well, I, look, but I it's probably an irrelevant debate I think uh, Collins can push push into midfield as well and so we shouldn't be as yeah, overall. As we, you're not and, wedded to a... And also, you're, if your fullbacks are intelligent enough, they can come in and be an extra number. Like, we see when Cancelo was able to do yeah. this or whoever is doing that. Or they, they're coached day-to-day, though. It's, it's harder for a team true, like it's true, but international. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. JD, what else? Uh, well, Matt already captained the side this evening. And look, hopefully we get a good result. And look, Latvia are not... They've had played better the last couple of years, and the Nations League, I think, has helped them. But ultimately, the other 133rd team in the world were 48th. We should be winning this this evening. Um, second round bids for Manchester United uh, closing tonight. So the controlling Glazer family probably going to receive in excess of £5 billion for the club. Uh, the Qataris seen as the favourites. Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani was going to put a bid in with uh, no uh, leverage on it. Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos seen, seen to be the um, the guy who's possibly the, the, the next strongest bidder. Uh, the Qatari Sheikh, the son of the former Prime Minister, they'll obviously claim they've got nothing to do with the investment authority that is uh, behind Paris Saint-Germain, although there's claims now that Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president, will allow uh, dual ownership of clubs in Europe. Um, that's pretty depressing. If you're a Man United fan, JD, and say you're a Man United fan, you're 40, 50 years of age, you've sported them Fergie days, blah, blah, blah. What sort of day is this for you? Because it's not like the, Glaz- the Glazers with the May West, but well, they I were think, effectively I, there I, to make I, money. I, I, there's enough Man United fans in the world not to care. And like if you look at Newcastle and the buzz they had around going to Wembley, the fact that they're owned by a nation state, the Saudis, there are enough United fans who are not going to care about this if they're bought by the Qataris for, say, five or six, and they put a billion then into the club in terms of redeveloping the stadium, the training ground, and having an unlimited transfer budget. Unfortunately, the horse is bolted now, where you have these uh, institutions that were social institutions now as pawns in geopolitics. Yeah, and... To launder the image of human rights, uh, uh, countries which have chronic human rights records. And that's where the world has gone. And it's... it's, it's in Unfair the world. for capitalism. Yeah, it's in the world as well. Man United is... It's, this is my, my problem 
Um, this is why I love the League of Ireland to the extent that the Premier League means less to me because Galway United is a local team. I'm from Galway. They've local players. It's local people. Man United is a world entity now. Almost popular the Saudis, though, weren't they? They actually were local team for you, local people. But now Man United is a global. It's a global yeah. brand. I get your point. However, and however, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if the local. Were you not all in favour of the Saudis taking over Galway at one point? I, I was told, in fairness, that it had nothing to do with the government, and I regret that I I took that advice uh, after people went over to Saudi Arabia. New <laughs> information <laughs> came to light. Yeah. This You're aggression will not stand. Yeah, um, it's going to be shown in the lighthouse, by the way. Very, very Is shortly. This? The Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. Um, I hope you will skinning up a fat one um, the, the big Lebowski uh, uh, what's yeah. this got to do with it's, uh, we were just quoting a couple of lines there I will be sad in the League of Ireland and it, the this big will Lebowski, happen you know the big Lebowski's got no plot it's, it doesn't need a plot because it's so ridiculous it's just all about the lines the, I will be so it's the League of Ireland so situation you, you, you where could do, you could do a play of words here you could do like, like instead of shut up Donny shut up Johnny yeah the big Lebowski shut the Johnny um, yeah I, I think this is a grim grim day for football okay. grim grim day for football Roy McElroy changes putter Head of the match play starts today in Texas. Uh, 64 players in the field. Rory plays Scott Stoddings first up. Shane Larry, Taylor Montgomery, his opponent. Seamus Power against Adam Scott. He needs a spark. Also recently tinkering with his driver. Is it all getting into his head again ahead of Augusta in two weeks' time? Hopefully something sparks from him. And around, I don't know if you touched on this, Cavan ladies footballers and the Cavan LGFA over issues around expenses and kit. Strike action being threatened of the game on Saturday against Tyrone. Met a kid in Luton Airport, well, kid, he was 24, 25, loves virtual insanity. Oh, well. He's like, um, but he says, he, he does a slightly different strategy to you, but he loves your um, he loves your selection. We're off this week because the match play is an absolute lottery. Right. All right. JD. All right, lads. Good stuff. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. Here's some of the highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. It's the Hurting Pod. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll and Rugby Daily all top quality stuff make sure you subscribe to them all in their individual feeds and of course through the uh, main feeds as well you can follow off the ball across our social and subscribe to our podcast network after this short break Enda McNulty is on talking about his new book Commit to Lead You're listening to OTB AM Right Enda McNulty is with us his new book is called Commit to Lead Unlock Your True Leadership Potential Um, you were just looking around the studio there saying it was nice and it struck me if you were a man who collected memorabilia, you'd have some collection. Do you collect bits and bobs? Do you have bits and bobs? I have lots, but I don't have it, uh, let's say, on a cabinet. I don't have it on walls. I have some of the old jerseys we wore at Queen's. I have some of the old Armagh jerseys. I have my father's blazer. Of He went to New York with Armagh way back in 1982 as the coach. I still have the blazer. So it's all tucked away in cupboards or in drawers. It's not uh, for show for anybody. Please God, someday I'll show it to my kids. What about the um, teams that you've worked with? Do you have stuff from them down through the years, or did you? Uh, after the World Cup in Japan, interested some of the uh, the guys' boots were thrown on the floor because they wrecked the boots from scrummaging against the All Blacks. Of course, I think it's Tag Furlong boots and Connor Murray's boots. They were thrown on the bench. I said, "Is it okay, guys? I take these because at some stage we give them to charity." So, so some uh, memorability yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, with Ireland they were incredibly good at the merchandise so you have bags and bags of kit and gear and again you give it out for charity and schools or kids with disabilities it's always a nice way to make them feel special you haven't kept it for sentimental reasons it's your playing career that you have and your dad's playing career that you have sentimental stuff about yeah, it's it's more sentimental. I think the memories are more sentimental than anything else. I'm not big into, you know, the Armagh jersey I wore in 02, you know, and I don't even know where it is, to be honest, but it's the memories for me. It's what it builds in the character. Yeah, okay. There's loads in the book, right? And I want to get to bits of it, but it, your story, I think, is, is really interesting. There's, um, you were doing a day a week with Leinster. How did that come about? How did you start with Leinster? 
Luke Fitzgerald had met him uh, actually in the jacuzzi doing a recovery session after a tough RMA session and I was sitting in jacuzzi in David Lloyd a lot of the Leinster uh, guys used to use the same jacuzzi and pool for recovery they all trained at David Lloyd in the early days in a really old school gym out the back of David Lloyd that is probably the worst gym in Ireland if you look at it in today's circumstance uh, and in the jacuzzi was a guy called David Moore who also played a little bit for the Leinster Academy back in the day and for Connacht I knew Davy and met Davy through his dad his dad asked me to do some mental toughness coaching with young Davy Moore Davy Moore was best friends with Luke Fitzgerald uh, we had a chat in the jacuzzi about I guess all aspects performance all ac- aspects mental toughness Luke said to me can we meet in a few weeks I wouldn't mind talking about that sort of stuff his dad gave me a call the week later uh, Des Fitzgerald who of course has played for Ireland and he said you know almost to vet me you know who are you what's your background what have you done how yeah. the hell do you know enough to work with my young uh, son uh, so that that went very well look nearly three months after that was brought onto the Irish squad simultaneously Michael Kearney who's now one of the key people in the RFU uh, Michael Kearney was sitting for breakfast with me in David Lloyd and at the next table lo and behold who sat down beside us Michael Checker. Michael Kearney introduced me to Michael Checker. Checker was very dismissive, uh, a little bit aloof, not really interested in talking to me. Uh, and he said, you know, again, I could see in his eyes more than his body language, something sparked in him. Had you, like when you were talking to Mick Kearney, were you thinking that maybe you could expand at that stage with, with rugby? Were you, so was Luke your first rugby person ever? No, it was actually Samiri's Rugby Club. Right. Because uh, a guy called Stephen Hennessy is still coaching Samiri's in, in the in the secondary school there. He's the head of director of rugby. Uh, he's a brilliant fellow. He spent his whole life coaching rugby in Samiri's. Uh, and he asked me, they were going to get relegated. He asked me, Andy, would you do a session with the team? There's a good chance we're going to be relegated. He knew of my work with Armagh, my playing days, and work with some of the semi-pro teams in Ireland in football, Longford Town and so on. Right. And he said, is there any way you give us a dig out? We could be relegated here. And I went to Samiri's that night I'll never forget it the longest day I live and I had a real big flashback on it this weekend because in the change rooms in Samiri's when I walked in they were post-training and you can see they were wrecked they were exhausted there were a lot of them in the room they were sceptical a lot of them very resistant a lot of them totally disinterested but there was this one fella in the corner and he was sitting in absolutely intensely focused on what I was saying uh, and I remember thinking to myself who's that young guy in the, in the corner and I said to Hennessy afterwards who's that young guy his name is Sexton Right, Sexton hung on to every single word uh, he was intrigued I'm not saying he accepted every single word but you could see he was listening he was open he was curious and he had definitely a growth mindset what age was he back then? he must have been 19 years of age oh. Um. Uh, I, I thought that we were starting at the start, so we have to go back further, right? <laughs> I remember I'm going to Longford Town. Who was in Longford Town. Uh, Alan Matthews. Alan Matthews, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Alan Matthews, and they won two FAI Cups. Uh, it was it was brilliant because, again, that was all done pro bono because it was trying to, like like you guys have done in your early days on radio, like way back to 1997 for a juror. So you're cutting my teeth, getting experience in semi-pro sport and, and, mm. and pro sport. And Alan Matthews was brilliant to work with because he was working full-time in the bank. And then we made a lunchtime. He'd come in with the suit and say, what the hell are we going to do to win this next FAI Cup game? And we'd write a plan for the weekend. There we go. So uh, you're, you're, you're obviously in college in Queens and you're playing football with Armagh. And then I think your first full-time job after college, maybe I'm wrong about this, is as a games promotion officer in Dublin. Is that right? Uh, coaching director of Ballybody Bally Bally Sinandis. Yeah. Okay. Very lucky, Drew. And that's the start of it. Because uh, what you do now is obviously not... 
the, the physical coaching of teams. It's a different type of coaching. But is that the like in in college? Were you like this is where I'm going to go with this? I want to work in sport and coaching and performance. I remember sitting in a lecture hall in Queens and John Kramer, who was the sports psychology lecturer on our course in undergrad psychology, there was 250 undergrads in the psychology lecture hall at the David Cure building. And he asked the question, he says, how many of you in the audience want to work in criminal psychology? Hands up. How many of you want to work in, let's say, children's psychology? Hands up. How many of you want to work in, let's say, uh, the psychology behaviour of education and so on? All these different things. And then he says, how many of you want to work in applied psychology? Out on the ground, out on the pitch, making a difference in people's lives and applying this brilliant theory in an applied world. Only one hand went up in the audience. It was me. Right. And you. And you wanted to spend my whole life coaching people, training people, advising people, having people, whether it's in the sporting arena, whether it's in the business arena or the performance arts arena. I knew my whole life. I spent my whole life being passionate about that since probably was 14 years of age. That's really interesting. And in the book, I think, um, to go back to... Uh to Checker, right? So uh, it takes a while, but Checker gets back in touch with you, and there's a similar grilling, except probably more intense than Des Fitzgerald gave you. But in the middle of that, he actually brings up you getting sent off in a big game, and like, how do you have the credibility to stand in front of my team when you've had, when you've been sent off? Like, you know, how can you talk about discipline when you were all disciplined yourself? But actually, like, I guess he knows the answer to that, because obviously you've got credibility when you say, I, I have been here, I have made this mistake, I have done the thing that you shouldn't do. He'd done his research very well. He, he'd done his research so deep that he went to somebody who played along with me uh, and he found out, what is this guy really like? Has he got the values and the character that we can trust here in, in uh, Leinster Rugby? So we'd done his deep research. All, all those gentlemen, all those ladies in that elite sport, they do deep research on you, your full character. I remember meeting somebody in the Pittsburgh Steelers. We went over there on a study trip and talking to the people that recruited the wide receivers uh, and asking them, what do you do for your recruitment process? And they said, we go to the primary school and we found out we go and we uh, interview the person the primary school that taught the kid to see what the true character was like even at that stage so he'd done his research the Steelers literally have the greatest reputation in the NFL for recruiting receivers it's funny everybody who Mm. gets recruited ends up making the team whereas it's like a a lottery pick for the the Patriots can't do it how did you know that at 14 I'm just like when you say I knew that at 14 that I wanted to do that like was this the inculcation of somebody else in you or was it like okay I'm um, at this point in my life where I'm ahead of everyone else mentally that I know I want to I know what I want to do or how how is that I'd say I'm still not ahead of anybody yeah. else Johnny uh, but I'd say I'm very curious and very hungry to learn at 14 years of age my father gave me a book called The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway uh, when I read that book from cover to cover and then multiple times I started to think there's not much point in me doing all this running and even at that stage I was playing senior football Kier McGinney in terms of people that inspire you Kier McGinney was a 19 year old and he was the shape of an international rugby player at 19 years of age. So at that stage, I was training with those senior footballers. My dad was the coach of the senior team. A few of the guys used to turn up drunk to the matches. My dad couldn't trust them. I had developed early. And he said, and you go to corner forward and the, and the big, tough senior footballers were looking after me, but I would still be playing. And at that stage, my dad used to, on the way back from the matches in an old Reynolds 18, he played tapes of Lou Tice, who'd worked in American football. And Lou Tice was talking about positive psychology, mental toughness, coaching people to be the best version of themselves. Where the so, hell did he get the Lou Tice tapes in, in like 1980s, 1990s Armagh? Yeah, probably late 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, where he got it was... was uh, sent off of them. Uh, interestingly, he, he, my dad was a teacher. And then because of the peace process in Northern Ireland, they were trying to get the peace done. 
uh, and the SDLP, a party led by Seamus Mallon, who Features we talked about book, a lot yeah. in the book, he sent my father off on a course and said, Joe, we want you to be a development consultant here, figuring out a way to bring the unionist and loyalist community together with the nationalist community to build, let's say, regeneration of rural South Armagh. Will you go on a course before you take this role, Joe? And Joe said, absolutely. My daddy said, absolutely. And one of the courses that he went on was Investment in Excellence, delivered by Lou Tice, who was a guy who worked with, let's say, the best American football players, the best CEOs, the best people in performance arts in the States. Right, that is mad. Like, Seamus Mallon, like, and he was acutely aware from, like, he's from Market Hill, so he's kind of aware of bringing people together, and that sets your dad on the path to kind of... I guess uh, influencing you in the, as a 14 year old For, fortunate John. Yeah. and I think we've all a responsibility to if we're coaching kids if we're communicating to kids like we are today to get children to realise that it's not only about what you do on the hurling pitch or the hockey pitch or the rugby pitch but it's your inner game your inner game is going to be more important to you in life because it's about life, not about how well we do in sport. I do find that fascinating. Like we did chat there a couple of weeks ago about like all the girls that are just going out of sport, like from very early age. Like how do you keep people on the periphery? Just keep them believing in themselves and know that this is just you're on the you're on the ladder here. Like I love the Nile Mina interview that you gentlemen have done here on Off the Ball. I think it's fascinating. So I think it's in terms going of to be a stretch, but yeah, yeah he's, he's he's incredible. Uh, so what do I think about that? I, I think if we work on people's inner game, they're going to be better. At dealing with the adversity of life and we speak about that of course a lot in the book in terms of resilience building through resilience uh, I think we've got a real big opportunity of that in early days with kids and their development but even for adults we know that from the US military we can develop their strong resilience or their adversity quotient Can we go back to, to, to Leinster then because it, it, it feels like in retrospect um, Leinster's your big break in, in many ways is that so again uh, you, you're doing a day a week after you pass Cheka's test you're doing a day a week with them contracted and you go to a training session and Cheka uh, challenges you to like find who are the leaders here who are the people who are doing the things that I need to do and you identify Shane Jennings and then Shane Jennings I, I don't know if it's unprompted or if there's a if Cheka has said listen this guy really rates you you go and have a chat with him or if, if it had been unprompted I don't know what your instinct is about whether or not that was instinctive from, from Jennings but you guys meet and Jennings wants more from you well, well I'm glad you mentioned Shane Jennings I think he's one of the unsung heroes in Irish rugby I think he was one of the cultural architects so I, I used to go and watch Leinster training sessions I was contracted one day a week but to be honest with you it was a full week of thinking because it's a bit like being on air it's, it's not what you do on air it's what you do offer you're thinking behind it so I used to go and sit in some of the tra- uh, some of the training sessions at the RDS and I'd sit away up in the top row of the RDS uh, in a freezing cold winter's day and you could hear Cheka from the far side of the stand roaring, encouraging driving standards uh, and then I suppose we, we really resonated with each other I met him for a coffee, I think in Coffee Society in Ranla and he vigorously challenged me as, as Shane always do or always does and in that conversation he was saying to me you know, what about my own game, well, how can I improve because I can't tell anybody else to improve unless I don't improve and then lo and behold every time I ever met him, including two weeks ago or a few weeks ago, I went to one of the Leinster games with Shane Jennings and lo and behold he's still improving now, he's a CEO of a very successful organisation, so uh, Jennings is the epitome for me of a cultural architect, someone who sets standards someone who drives the bar up, finds a way to drive it up even though others around him might resist, he's the fella that in the trenches is always encouraged 
encouraging. Even if he's playing shit himself, he's still encouraging and driving others on. He's a general. When did you go full time with Leinster, or did you ever go full time? Never went full time, and I'm actually very happy that I didn't, sure. Right. Because I think if you really want to grow, it's about different performance crucibles. I never went full time with Leinster or Ireland, and I always was appreciative of that flexibility that Ireland and Leinster give me. Because for the rest of the week, then you're sitting down with somebody who's a surgeon on baby's eyes. Now, for me, that's a pretty important performance crucible. So I loved and I still love that eclectic genre of performance crucibles rather than just one. The, is is Leinster, though, important in terms of giving you the credibility to walk into the other rooms? Massive. Not, not that you weren't kind of building that anyway, but... Massive, sure. I really appreciate of that. And they deserve all that credit. I don't deserve any credit for what happened in Leinster, but I can say I've learned a huge amount. You learn a huge amount from watching Johnny Sexton doing kicking post-training, and you're with him for an hour and a half, and you're kicking the balls back to him, but... He, I'll be honest. When you're initially, when you're kicking the balls back, and you're going like, surely I've, I've, you know, got more experience than just kicking the ball back. But then when you watch him intensely focus for an hour and a half in the freezing cold, there's nobody else there on the pitch. You're learning from him, and you're learning. How much of Sexton is not his actual ability? Like for for if he's still the best out half in the world, how 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 has he become this? Well, the quality of Sexton's practice, he reminds me of Issa Nasiwa, linking it back to Leinster. Issa Nasiwa, in his post-practice sessions, was just like watching Mozart. It was incredible. The intense focus in his eyes for every high ball, and I'll never forget it, the quality of deliberate practice, jumping, focus, arms, hands, as if he's playing in a huge Heineken Cup final. I'll never forget it. Sexton, similarly, Josh van der Flaer, Robbie Henshaw, watching those guys in post-practice watched them work with Andy Farrell behind the goalposts on tackle tech it was like watching art form there's a famous scene that the Mead lads talk about where they go and visit Sean Boylan in his kitchen and at his kitchen table they take him, they tell him to take his shyness out of his arse pocket and start being the boss. And it's funny how you, you bring up uh, the importance of kitchen tables in the book as well. There's a, there's a summit meeting where um, a, a random cross-section, but completely not random, of the leaders, uh, different age groups and uh, the cultural architects meet in Leinster to decide that enough is enough. We've had enough of the losing, and um, I'm interested now. In retrospect, when you look, you list off the names. It's like Leo Cullen and Brian O'Driscoll and Sean O'Brien and Cheka. So obviously, massive characters. But how do they interact with each other? Because they all have their own individual styles, and they all have their own individual bits of baggage and bits of um, biases. And like, so is it straightforward? Is it is it a straight line, or was there a little bit of naughtiness to work through? No straight lines. I wouldn't wrote this story, by the way, without Jerry Gilroy prompting me about a year ago that Andy you have to tell the story. So I'm very thankful. Better get a free uh, book now. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that was actually at Czech's kitchen table. Stephanie was in in the house, uh, Czech's wife, and what happened was. It was in the middle of winter. Things weren't going that well. Uh, we had said that we need to get a real honest, very vigorous team talk. Uh, eight of the leaders were brought together. I think Shawnee, Johnny, uh, Shane Jennings, Shane Horgan, Brian O'Driscoll, Leo Cullen, of course. And it, it wasn't a nice conversation. It was a robust, brutally honest conversation. And it was from everything from game plan, and Brian O'Driscoll is like, uh, let's say, an amazing conductor of the orchestra in terms of understanding game plan. It, Sexton was at the, at the table, and it was about what do we have to do to make sure this team wins and unlocks the true potential? Like Sexton's a kid at this stage, really, and, and not guaranteed his place because uh, Felipe's ahead of him. But, you know, I think Felipe might have been, he might already have been injured or not. But, um, you know, it, it, for him even to be there, obviously somebody had spotted.
spotted the fact that that intensity that you were talking about at Mary's was transmissible to the rest of the team as well in terms of, okay, somebody's coming up, he hasn't quite reached the level that we don't know how good he's going to be. He's a bit of a late developer, but he's definitely worth having in the room when we're deciding the entire future of the season. Everybody used mentality. At that stage, believe it or not, Cheka may have been a third, or sorry, Johnny may have been a third choice, number 10 in Leinster. So first was obviously Felipe, second was Chris Whitaker. Right. And I remember bumping into Johnny one morning uh, on his way to training. I live in the same apartment complex as Johnny, so that'll give him fortune because you get to meet him regularly during the week, not just on the training pitch, not just in your one on ones. And I remember him saying to me, I'm not picked for the squad for the weekend. So he was a third choice 10 at Leinster. To come back to your question, Johnny, about uh, the talent and the ability of this fella, his men- mentality, I think, has been phenomenal. I, 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 that definitely sets him apart for me because there are probably more naturally gifted players who like achieve 20% of what he did. Like, See, I don't believe in naturally gifted. I believe in it's all about the quality of your practice over a 20-year period. So this guy's 37 now. If you if you start throwing well, the ball, Joe Canning then, so is Joe, this is the thing, Like when you watch Leo Kegel, you're like, did Joe Canning become the player he did by bashing the ball off the wall from three years of age constantly with Ollie Canning as a brother yeah or was it natural ability it's a good, it's a good question because like, you would say oh Joe it's natural ability but actually no maybe he well he talks in the Laker Gale about breaking the window and the, there's like a t- hit and freeze and breaking the window again and again and again but also he was marking Ollie every day mm. he was battering him until he could <laughs> yeah. batter him back like, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it is right because we have this notion of like you know Evan Ferguson is a natural ability and he does but also Evan Ferguson is the son of a professional footballer do you know what I mean? And he's been brought along on the right path. Well, it's a hell, it's a hell of a... Uh, there's a neuroscientist, a good friend of mine called Professor Ian Robertson. He talks about the secret ladder. All of the best performers in life have that secret ladder. It's a brother, it's a coach, mm. it's a teacher, it's a sister. Uh, it's somebody when they were a little kid at six years of age started to say to them, use your left hand, not just your right hand. So I think it's that secret ladder that sometimes we forget about. Every one of those Ireland players last weekend have all had a secret ladder. Thankfully now in our sport, we're creating that secret ladder across the board. Um, to go back to the Armagh situation again really fascinating insight into the preparation for the 2003 All-Ireland where you all completely go mad in the build up to the game and go off training and battering each other and killing yourselves and I'm like oh so how do you stand credibly in front of the room and say you need to rest this week lads because you, you, you have the, the track record of it made all the mistakes First up, in that, that 2003 All-Ireland Finley has thrown, I made almost every mistake you can imagine. One of them was on the Friday night before the game, I went to a beach at, uh, I think it was Julianstown. Mm. Desi Ryan, my old friend and coach, I spoke to him on uh, Sunday night on the way back down the road from Armagh. And Desi, he's 83 years of age now. It's a lifelong coaching and mentoring relationship. But interestingly, that night in Julianstown, he took me for a session at the beach to be ready for Canavan that session lasted two hours I was exhausted afterwards so that was exactly what you shouldn't be doing however in now working with elite professional athletes I'm able to say to them I I always start even in the one-on-one still with some of the Irish players it's let's talk about your recovery let's get the recovery down first of all before we talk about anything else so I think rest and recovery is highly underrated I remember talking to Lukey way back in the day I'd say Lukey tell me about your, your uh, match day preparation oh, I'll get up about 9 o'clock what will you do then I'll have breakfast what will you do then Lukey I'll go back to bed uh, what will you do then oh, I'll maybe read a magazine or a paper or whatever so what will you do then I'll have my lunch what will you do then I'll go back to bed so I learned a lot from working with those fellas as well in terms of their recovery protocols right uh, in retrospect um would you think Tyrone were probably doing the same thing though? Is that like the the the, the wisdom hadn't transmitted into GA that it was bigger as best? Uh, I think Tyrone probably were better at relaxing. I think they were probably better at you know enjoying the journey. I think we were probably too intense when I look back. I think we tried too no. hard. 
<laughs> I presumed you were in the water when you said I went to Julian's sound. I spent like half an hour putting my legs in the water, not having a two-hour session. Like two, two-hour session on, and Desi is relentless on the quality of his practice. So it was two-hour session on trying to deal with Canavan's footwork. And looking back, that was absolute insanity because Peter had wrecked his ankle. He wasn't fit to walk in that final. And the real stupidity wasn't my lack of recovery. He broke. He went down. That's the finally comes on and off. Is it? That's finally comes on and off. And he wasn't wasn't fit to walk. So yeah. I should have went to Joe and said, Joe, take me off, Peter, because Peter isn't fit to walk here. Put me on O'Neill, who was having an unbelievable game that day mm. uh, who would have been the, the person to turn to Geezer and say listen we're a bit too intense here I'm not sure anybody has the <laughs> I, I would go to Geezer regularly we, we would regularly sit down and have open honest chats Geezer lived in, in Dublin at that stage in, in 03 like look I think we might be overdoing it here because you'd all yeah. you'd all like this was the year of the tight tight <laughs> shirts right started, yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, we didn't know it, sure. Right. We didn't know at the time we were overdoing it. Now, you'd say that anybody with wisdom in a high-performance environment would have seen that. But to be honest with you, we didn't know it. We thought that this was going to help us go to the next level. Yeah. We overcooked. Uh, what, what was that old phrase that Ronaldo famously had with Neville? He said, you know, be weary of overly watering the plant. Too much water kills the plant. Mm. You watered, you watered, you watered, water. Eventually, the plant's going to die. So when Neville was challenging Ronaldo, but why is not winning every single sprint? Yeah, and and Neville was trying to was trying to win every single sprint, but he seen that Ronaldo was winning three out of ten. In Arma, we were trying to win ten out of ten. Mm. There's time to ease off as the horse trainers, and you you've interviewed yeah. here the best horse trainers. The best horse trainers know to ease off the horse. I was ridiculously intensely focused for far too long of my career, and um, and like. When did the wisdom come from that? From talking to the rugby lads and saying, seeing how they did it, was that was that a, a like is it literally a penny drops or is it a slow kind of retrospective? <coughs> actually, you know, watching Olympic athletes training uh, all over the world, that's when the penny dropped. Uh, David Gillick, I'm, I'm always very thankful. You asked about a big break. I was working with David Gillick as well. We had a brilliant relationship. Watching him train in Luckborough University and going along to the session and asking him, is it okay to train with him? If there was nobody else around other than three or four other athletes, he, he said, it's okay, and I would stay maybe 30, 40 metres away so it wouldn't embarrass them or vice versa. But I was watching them going, there must be more to it than this. We're doing 20 minutes and going home. So I was going, what the hell? I'm doing three sessions with Armagh that particular day. Me and Geezer were doing a tackling session at the Phoenix Park. Then we get launched. Then we go and do a sprint session on, on the track at Sandry. And then we go to Armagh training that night. And yet I'm watching the professional athletes and they're doing a 20-minute activation with medicine balls. So that's when the penny dropped. But it was too late in my career. Less right. is more. Less yeah. is more. Yeah. I I, don't, I remember like trying to get into the gym and I was like flat out doing this thing and I basically like I, I didn't ask anyone for advice and then I was just told you're doing like four times as much as you should and I was actually causing so much problem it's like you, you less is more and, and uh, horses are trained exactly for that there's a template for you in the book as well Johnny don't worry yeah well actually I am interested though like the, the skeptics who still like will, will have listened to this this morning they come in skeptical they're even more skeptical now like how do you deal with that we know a particular fellow Ulster man of yours that I'm not going to name um, how how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, I accept scepticism. I expect it. You're going to get that. That's life. If you want everybody to agree with you in life, I think Steve Jobs famously said about leaders, if you want everybody to like you as a leader, go and serve ice cream for a living and they're all going to like you. So I don't expect everybody's going to love everything we're saying. What, what I do expect is people to be open-minded. 
when people are resistant, your job as a communicator, your job as a coach, as a leader is to try and get them to at least be open-minded about an alternative view. One of my mentors in life, uh, he's in a phenomenal leadership mentor. He's Tim O'Connor. He's an ex-conciliary for the Irish government to the US government. And he talks about the concept, when you're having a conversation with somebody, with a leader, you're trying to make sure they don't have an exclamation mark and a full stop at the end of the sentence, that they have a semicolon. In other words, there's an alternative view. Let's meld our views together. Let's respect each other's views. Let's have a real vigorous debate like what we're doing here. And if I still don't like it, I'm okay with that, Johnny. I, I respect that. I have no qualms with that whatsoever. Have you had any conversations with, say, people from the unionist community, even pol- politicians in the unionist community, saying exactly what you're saying there? Of course. My yeah. brother, Justin, is an MLA in yeah. the North, in Stormont. Uh, very regularly, I've had conversations with people in the unionist community. Some of the people in Ireland camp are from the unionist community. Mm. Some people in Armagh, Ireland camp, or unionist community. So, very respectful. Seamus Mallon, wasn't he the, the epitome of talking about a shared home place? So, I would like that we all in Ireland start to think about the future of everybody's welcome, no matter what community they're from. I don't give a damn whether it's the Afro-Caribbean community, the fellow who served me coffee this morning, or whether it's a unionist community in the north. Everybody should be feel very, very welcome and very much at home. Something, something for slow learners. Like, yeah. um, can we talk about the the World Cup and um, now how you reflect on uh, Japan? Because I, I heard your interview with Luke last week, and it was really interesting just to to get the perspective from this distance. Now, um, you, you talked about the learnings, obviously. Uh, I, I'm personally, I felt a little bit like you got thrown under the bus, and I, you know, that's. Um, if you want to talk about that, we can. If you don't, I, I totally understand that too. But what, what, if you were to put your finger on what went wrong and how you would change things now if you could tap yourself on the shoulder, what would you say to yourself now? 18 months before the World Cup, I would have been better at communicating. 18 months before the World Cup, I would have been better at influencing. Because it's not just good enough to say something and send an email and write a pretty comprehensive report. It's only good enough if you influence positive change. So if I was to tap myself on the shoulder now, I would have been... Miss Evan Joe used to have deep three-hour conversations outside of camp on normally a Wednesday afternoon uh, in a hotel in Ballsbridge. And those three-and-a-half-hour conversations were like intellectual tennis or intellectual rugby. I would present an idea, Joe would challenge me on it. I'd present another idea, he'd challenge me on it. Uh, Three-and-a-half hours later, we're still there and he's still debating vigorously. By the way, he might only take one idea away and apply it, or he might take none away and apply it. So if I was to go back again and tap myself on the shoulder, I'd say, and uh, you're going to have to do a better job at influencing more positive change around three core areas. One, we need to make sure the team is more stress-tested under the most incredible pressure. Because my belief is, and I could be well wrong, and there's people more qualified in rugby than I am, by a hundred X or a thousand X, people like Brian O'Driscoll and co, people like Andy Ford, who's a phenomenal coach, I believe that the scale of difficulty of the World Cup is 10X to Six Nations. And the contrast that we give there is we played Meath in a challenge match in Navan in 1999. Uh, and we beat them by something like 15 points. We played them in the semi-final of Ireland that same year and they gave us the mother and father of all lessons. And Sean Boylan ran across that pitch in the middle of that game and he gave instructions in uh, to the guy that was marking, I think it was uh, I was marking somebody like Tommy Dowd uh, and he was giving instructions into his ear. I could hear it real time. And it was like a totally different scale of difficulty on beating them in Navan why was that six months earlier? Yeah, is this is this team stress tested then? This Irish rugby team. I think they're better stress tested now than they ever were before. 
I think that you've seen in the Six Nations against Scotland what happened when they were really under stress, like the Josh van der Flaer moment. Uh, obviously, it line out time. I think they've got people around them now who have been in the World Cup cauldron more, like the Paul O'Connells, of course, that understands that. And the Simon Easterbys, I think a big unsung hero as a coach. He's been there now for three World Cup cycles. That's phenomenal. Uh, obviously, Andy Farrell's been stress tested both with Ireland and England as a coach at World Cup time. So I think that's a huge asset. Uh, I also think that Johnny Sexton is much more stress tested now than before. And I, I hope he stays healthy because sometimes your biggest strength can become, it's, it's almost what do they call it, like a Shakespearean flaw mm. when your biggest strength can become your biggest weakness. So you were, you were saying there were three, three areas. One was the, the stress test that you were, you were talking about. If you were to go back to, to yourself 18 months out. I'd say, yes, stress test uh, the team more vigorously, more regularly, uh, one. Two, I would say, is make sure that the bench strength is much deeper and much wider, and I think they've done a much better job this time around. And I would say be unexpected in that, because I know working with Ian Madigan, who was a phenomenally talented player as well, working with Madigan in the England and Wales World Cup, uh, Johnny got injured, Mads steps in, he had all the game, but Mads would probably say himself that he hadn't done enough work on his mental game to be ready for that Argentina uh, game. So bench strength number two. Number three, I would say, is that the adaptability that Andy Farrell spoke about in the last few weeks, I would have baked that in more regularly in the 18 months before the last World Cup and build that adaptability and adversity quotient. Now, the only way we'll know if that's been done well enough in the last 12 months to 18 months is in another six months. Yeah, and it's um, it's obviously a lot of, like, it'll depend on the results. Uh, in a way, uh, if we get beaten in a quarterfinal and play the best game that we can play, but we come up against the France team, who it turns out are an all-time great France team, then that's fine. But if we don't perform, that'll be the evidence that it hasn't reached the level that it should do. I think they'd be hugely disappointed if they don't get well beyond you know the pool stage in this World Cup because their body of experience, their body of work in the last four years has been world-class, world-leading. So they've raised the bar on the last, let's say, World Cup cycle. I think they'd be devastated not, not to get beyond the World Cup quarterfinal. Are the players quite simply happy under Farrell than Schmidt I'd say yes I'd say yes honestly Johnny uh, now is that a criticism of Joe I think all coaches have different strengths mm. I think some of Joe's biggest strengths are very complementary to Andy's biggest strengths so are they happy around camp yes I think Joe would admit that himself I don't think Joe wanted people to be happy uh, to love every single second of camp that wasn't his style that wasn't his leadership style I think Andy is much more about the family much more about the environment much more about let's say empowering the players that's not to say Joe's style was wrong I think that what we need to do, and this go back to leadership, leaders sh- should stick to their biggest strengths. Joe's biggest strength wasn't having the family around all the time. It wasn't always about being empowering. He was the best in the world technical, tactical coach, bar none. That's really interesting, like that, um, th- that these things can coexist in a way or that one serves one purpose and one serves another. And it, it seems like uh, the technical, tactical thing, Farrell has brought... Uh, like well, uh, definitely yeah. that they've they've. So he was obviously very good at defence, right? But he's handed that over to Easterby, and they've also brought Paul O'Connell on board to do a bit of what Schmidt was doing. And so, um, you would say that there's the 
the leadership team has grown by virtue of the fact that it's distributed among more people as opposed to I know there's like leadership jargon around command and, and control also, that, that can't be straightforward at all because there has to be like a structure but also like a, a delegation responsibility but also like a trust among each other and no egos really are, I, I imagine anyway it's like I think psychological safety if you go to the research behind great leadership environments great leadership groups psychological safety is fundamental in other words everybody feels they've got a voice I think it's a much stronger environment on that now than it was probably four years ago eight years ago uh, maybe ten years ago when I started to get involved with Ireland Rugby I think it's much stronger now that's not to say that anybody was in the wrong in the past all organisations evolved like this organisation look at the way Off the Balls evolved over the last 20 years it's a phenomenal evolution so it, it evolves and by the way we need different leaders at different stages so if you look at what's happening in the free world now we've got uh, obviously Joe Biden as the leader of the free world whereas four years ago we had Trump now please be to God we don't go back to Trump again mm. I think at the moment Andy Farr's leadership style is the right man in the right place with the right squad with the right leaders there's no doubt about at that at the right time at the right time <laughs> well, I really hope it is the right time because <laughs> uh, that would uh, that would certainly um, be great uh, one last thing Michael Jack obviously a uh, good friend of yours somebody you've worked with a lot uh, are you getting uh, are you thinking maybe you might be involved with Argentina at all for coming around the World Cup uh, Cheka is some character he touched base on me about two weeks ago as he always does and he, he'll touch base when he's got a problem statement and his problem statement believe it or not he won't mind me saying this was uh, and uh what do you think about X, Y, or Z? Could you come back to me on this? Give me your thoughts and perspective. So then you give him that perspective. You mightn't hear him for another week. And then uh, when you give him that perspective, a week later he says, yeah, that's interesting, mate. Come back to me again another week with it. So will I move over to Argentina? No. And the reason for that is we're expecting our first kid in ah, August. Congratulations. Uh, so that'll be priority that'll number one. Your that'll soften your cough. That kid has no chance in life. <laughs> he or she's going to be like, you know, how world you leader be, or two. Yeah, or well, I was going to say, how do you not be a tiger parent? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've learned that from my parents. Uh, I've learned that from brilliant people around me. Hopefully I won't be as relentless as a parent uh, as I was as a young footballer, as a young leader. I think we've seen in Castlebar, let them develop themselves as well. Absolutely. I think it, it takes a whole village to raise a child. Hopefully it'll be the village and myself and my wife, Julie, that raises the child. What but part of the world? Uh, we're living in Dublin, living in Rutgar. We're living in Rutgar, that's all right, yeah. Got to check out Orwell Road. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the guys you bump in and still on the way around that area of South Dublin. We're very fortunate. But what I would say is I'd say a big thank you to Off the Ball because you're on with breaks in life. When I did an interview with Jerry Gilroy about 15 years ago, a gentleman listening that day was a global CEO. He called me on the Monday and said, end up have a cup of coffee. And actually, we were talking about Leinster Rugby. Uh, so I'd be always thankful and I would always be appreciative. The power of radio, folks. Oh, well, look, and it's been great. And the book is excellent. Read it. It's called Commit to Lead. Unlock your true leadership potential. And we wish you the very best of luck with it. Thanks a million. Thanks for the opportunity. On tomorrow's show, Ireland Lafayette reaction, Vinnie Perth, Senator Upo previews, the women's Six Nations, David Brady, and plenty more besides. Here's Gavin Cooney from last night's football show. Enjoy your day. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.